What's up, guys, and welcome back to the show. CoinKite and River are the two awesome Bitcoin companies which I'm grateful to have supporting this podcast. If you know all about them already, skip ahead 60 seconds. If not, keep listening. CoinKite is the maker of what many Bitcoiners believe to be the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. If you've been delaying on setting up your self-custody solution, I strongly advise that you take action, as 2022 was once again littered with examples which prove the adage, not your keys, not your coins. The cold card is also compatible with several of the most popular multi-sig solutions if you're interested in exploring that approach to custodying your Bitcoin. If gifting physical Bitcoin in the upcoming year is what you're after, the SATS card is a great way to do so. It's like an open dime, but you can load and sweep it 10 times with just a mobile phone, and it comes in a handy and familiar credit card form factor. Finally, the BlockLock Micro has recently hit the market for those of us that get a potentially strange, but absolutely understandable, satisfaction at keeping an eye on the current block height, sats per USD exchange rate, and much else. To check it all out, visit CoinKite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning services enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit River.com today. How are you? You're sounding good. I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. Can you hear the coffee grinding in the back? No. Wow, you some, fuck. Yeah, Mike is doing work. That's amazing. can't believe you can't hear that. It's loud as shit. I, I'm, I'm actually going through <laughs> caffeine withdrawals right now, too. I started uh, uh, quick coffee like, I don't know, a couple of days ago. And it's just been wow. like, oh, it's what, crushing. like for good? Yeah, well, for a while, at least. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to try to get it all out, do do about a month where it's just nothing but uh, nothing but good stuff. And, Have you done it before? Coffee, yeah. Coffee's tough, man. So it's three three days in the beginning where you're just like dying, right? Oh, like it's you brutal. Get, you yeah. get headaches and everything else. And you get through that third day and you're fine. But like, yeah, yeah, like anything. I don't know, man. I um it's kind of my last remaining vice. And I don't <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to give it up, you know. Like I didn't either, but I was like, man, it's either now or during the apocalypse and like shit's gonna be going down. <laughs> <laughs> I need a clear head. All right, hold it. let me uh if you don't have any questions, I'll just press i'll just fire up the live stream and uh we'll just keep going yeah right on um yeah what's uh i mean we're to everyone just joining we we're just talking about uh shane giving up coffee what's the uh what's the motivation um like, so i actually had some some guys come in to do um a kind of a promo for the show they were, were going to do sponsorship and all that kind of stuff and it was a it was a like a, a mushroom type of elixir and oh, yeah. I mean, you know, without saying names or anything. And I was like, guys, you know, I definitely do this and I want to give it, you know, a fair shake. So I was like, I'm going to quit coffee. And I've wanted to quit coffee for a while anyway. And so I was just like, well, now's the time. Let's, let's try it out. You know, if this is going to be my morning, you know, my morning upper and see, see what happens for clarity and everything else. So I started and, um, you know, at the same time was taking these, these elixirs things and, I got to tell you, I don't think the elixirs are going to work out, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, at the same time, I, you know, said, you know what, the coffee needs to go. And, you know, I've already replaced a bit, uh, with a, a multi mushroom. I don't know if you take one or not, but you know, it's, uh, they come in all sorts of different things these days, whether it's like a coffee replacement or a pill, yeah. I prefer a pill. so it's a lot cheaper and you can just pop them and be done with it. So that's, that was kind of the, 
the impetus behind it. I wasn't really a glutton for punishment. It's not why like, I wanted to go through well, like three days of hell and headaches and everything. Right, else. right, right. Well, two questions off that. So like, <clears throat> why did you want to remove like the coffee effect? Was it just like a jittery thing or mental clarity or you just no, didn't I, like the idea of, of having a dependence? Like what was yeah, it? Yeah, it's it, it's a it's I guess a, a bunch of things. I was not kidding. Like when I was like, when this all when the whole system melts down, I don't want to be dependent on coffee when you know shit's going down. <laughs> right? like, kind of a wow, funny. You're thing. really preparing yourself. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, stuff. I think stuff is about to get pretty nuts, and um, you know, coffee is not going to be one of those things that's in high supply around the uh, the northern Georgia mountains. So. Right, right, right. Um, the other the other part of it is is I think you know with a lot of you know, things, whether it's cannabis or whether it's uh, caffeine or whatever it is that you're putting in your body, like on a daily basis, you kind of just get numb to the idea that it's there. First and foremost, it's doing something and then long term effects of any drug, right? It's just like, if you if you get too, you know, I can't say burnt out, but like, if you're taking things like cannabis on a daily basis, although it may not, you know, really physically harm you or anything, it's still having an effect on your, you know, your entire, um, you know, being, whether it's emotional, physical, whatever. And so just kind of divorce yourself from all of these kind of things at the same time to really kind of get a baseline. Man, I'll tell you, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while since I've done, you know, this and it feels good. You know, it feels minus the headache, right? Like, but there is, there is something to kind of getting back to a flat, you know, like this is the basis. This is where the body's at, you know, I'm mm. 43 these days. And so you're trying to, you're trying to see what's working, what might need some attention, what might, you know, you know, just be, you know, fairly neglected and, and try to bring everything back into balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my, I mean, my primary, I guess, uh, physical and mental, uh, like the thing that drives or informs that approach is, <clears throat> is that neutral space. Like I want to, I want to experience as much mental clarity as possible. And mm -hmm. obviously that requires a lot of physical effort as well, because you don't feel mentally clear if your body is a sack of shit and you're not using it and you're not stressing it and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so I get it, you know, and, and I've basically everything I do in the morning and throughout the day is to try to get myself to a place where I'm minimally influenced by forces that I'm either not aware of, or I don't want to be influenced by. And then the presumption yeah. is, is like, well, then you have, then you're as in control as you can be, you know, of your, of your mind, your body, your thoughts, all that kind of stuff. And then from there you can, you can do stuff. You can write, you can think about things, you can you know, pursue goals, you can build things like you're, you're as much you as you can be. And, you know, there's a, almost a faith in, in there that like, that is the, the place you should be in. That is the place that it, you're yeah. most able to draw on your strength and your ingenuity and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I feel you, but, and I, I've done the coffee, <clears throat> I, I've cut coffee before, and I guess um, I probably should again. I mean, this is all just a long winded excuse, m more than likely, mo most likely. But uh, it, I don't find it influences things negatively that much. But I can say if I don't have it, I do get the headaches and stuff. So just from a, a pure physiological dependence perspective, uh, it is there. The other one I, I've done before, you know, because I mentioned I, I don't have many vices, but uh, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth. And I've, I've done these like complete no sugar periods yeah. before. I think I've done like the longest one has been two months. And... And basically it's kind of like overt sugar. So no like refined carbs, no 
fruit and no, you know, refined sugar. So to, to whatever extent there's sugar in like carrots and beets and, you know, right. whatever else, then that is presumably inconsequential. And for the first, you know, three, four, five days, you're irritable, you've got headaches, you're, you know, you're crazy, yep. you got crazy cravings. But then when it breaks, I mean, you, you are in like a really kind of Zen state, a really clear state. And of course, I mean, this kind of alludes to or reinforces, you know, the practice of fasting that a lot of different spiritual traditions have engaged in throughout the ages. And I, I presume that's one of the the reasons, you know, because it gets you to that place. Not only are you kind of not being subjected to the influence or the forces of what you're eating, but then of course, you're also contending with all the internal struggle and strife of not, you know, giving yourself sustenance. And that in itself can be a very, you know, if you can, if you can get through that, then, you know, you can get to a place where perhaps more wisdom is available to you for lack of a better term. Well, I, I totally agree. And that's the thing is sugar is one of those that I think, especially for our generation that was slid kind of under the radar sugar became a really widely not only accepted but indulgent type of practice you know there was yeah. there was you know the, these dove commercials talking about you know indulgence in in chocolate and all these other things and you know obviously the population swelled up over that time but when you when you really try to quit sugar whether it's refined uh, whether you're you know you'll still you know introduce fruit into your diet honey and things like that um, those, those first few weeks, sometimes I know that's when I, I, I think I went three or four months one time without, you know, you know, any type of refined sugar. And at that point, you know, you, your body feels amazing first and foremost, and yeah. you start to change your mind about like this craving for sweets versus looking at them and, and understanding what they are and, and acknowledging, Hey man, that's actually, it's a drug. It's a poison. It's going to mess with your, your system, whether it's your pancreas at your blood levels, you know, your serotonin levels even. So it's got some type of mental effect on you and to be able to clear these things out. I, I think sugar is probably one of the most overlooked in terms of drug addictions, especially here in America. And so if you can get yourself to a, a real clarity point, like that's, it is, it's, it is, you get to start, you know, from a baseline and you get to work. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate things like, you know, the, the cannabis and the psilocybin and things like that. If you're looking for introspection, if you're looking for creativeness, you know, things like that, if you're looking to tap into an artistic side or something like that, I think there's definitely a, an added advantage with, especially the, or the, uh, the cannabis on that side. If you're, you know, for the, the psilocybin on, you know, more of the, um, the, the communication with the almighty and this, you know, mystical realm that a lot of people you may not be very familiar with, you know, is, is an aid, it's a tool, but it's not one of those things that you're ever going to be like, Oh yeah, let's go out and do like seven grams of, you know, psilocybin on a daily basis. That's, <laughs> that's not how it works. Right. No, no. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the big, the key with, with, <clears throat> With a lot of that stuff. I mean, I, I, again, I do think it's about being con at least conscious, if not fully in control of the things that are influencing you. Right. So you might, you might know what your neutral state is, but you might say, well, I'm not going to go on, you know, a, a three month sugar fast and I'm not going to cut out coffee, but at least you have some degree of consciousness over the things that are influencing you. <clears throat> and I think it's the same with, with things like cannabis and, and psilocybin. Like if you're approaching if you're intentional with your use of these things, yeah. you're like, okay, I have a, I have a particular goal in mind. 
And this is the tool for that particular goal. And so I'm using it in this, you know, set and define period and circumstance and time and all that for this purpose. And then when it's done, it's done. And I go back to neutral. And so, you know, for me, for me, that's been the case for a long time. It's like trying to, you keep trying to tweak it, right? So you, you keep trying to find what your neutral is and it takes a long time, right? You try different diets, you try different exercise regimes, you try different, you know, sleep methods and supplements and whatever your thing is. And, you know, slowly over time, you kind of close in on what makes you feel the most alert, the most, you know, confident, strong, capable, you know, all those different things. And then when you need to dip your toes into maybe the creative waters and a selective use of cannabis, when you need, you know, for me, what's a, what's typically been an annual dipping my toes into the, the mystical realm, that's psilocybin. And that's kind of just cleaning house fully and, yeah. you know, moving into whatever, whatever we call that space. <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, I think, I, I think that's a big thing we talk about like the NPC crowd a lot in, in Bitcoin and stuff like that. And I think one of the hallmarks of people like that is they're just so imp um, unaware of the different forces that are influencing them, that are that are directing them, that are guiding them. And I mean, this of course is not only in the realm of food, but certainly that, as you say, sugar and alcohol and seed oils and all these different things that are just fucking with their their brains and clouding yeah. their 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 perspective and their you know all that stuff. But then of course you layer on top the media, and then you layer on top you know the the system of the society and the culture that they're nestled within and all the different signals they're getting from that. And you get this amalgam of a person that is almost completely a product of these forces that are being exerted on them that are not in their control, that are not consciously chosen, that they're not aware of the degree to which these things are affecting them. And then you get, you know, automata, right? You get this just <laughs> automatic behavior. Yeah. You You know what responses will come from this, composite person that's that's allowing all these forces to to guide their perspective or to construct their perspective and guide their behavior and then you you have what seems to be a growing cohort of people now that are starting to realize that they've been subject to a hell of a lot of conditioning a hell of a lot of substances and ideas and you know cultural signals and all that kind of stuff that hasn't been serving them and certainly hasn't been in their control and there's you know i think a lot people are saying hold the fuck on this something is completely awry if for no other reason even if i'm not that able to see what's fucked up about the world it's not working for me i'm unhappy i'm depressed i'm stressed i'm anxious why why should like that's that shouldn't be my natural state and i think uh you know the first step is like shedding everything it's kind of like going on an elimination diet right you just i don't know what's fucking with me so it's all got to go i'll start with water and then I'll lay it, layer it back on. I'll wait and see it if, until I can find the thing that's messing with me. And uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of people are doing that now. And it's uh, it's great because hopefully we're getting more awake, more in control of their own, the people more in control of their own minds. And, you know, then as far as it's relevant to what you and I spend a lot of time on, you got to yeah. find Bitcoin at some point if you do that, you know? <laughs> It's funny how it all kind of works together. I'm actually working on a book called uh, The Communications Protocol right now. And you, 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 you talk about the, this, this understanding in people that something's not right. And, you know, whatever it is, I've got to, I've got to get back to the base layer of whatever that is. 
And I started going down this path. I was, you know, a Marine, uh, I was in special operations uh, overseas during the early 2000s, right when we were, you know, doing the, the first invasions into uh, Iraq and all that kind of stuff. And I found a book um, that was uh, by a, a great teacher. Uh, his name was John Taylor Gatto. And uh, he wrote uh, about the school system in America, how it had come from Prussia. And uh, the name of the particular book that got me kind of settled, you know, set down this path of questioning, right? It was like, all right, what's, what's the base? Where, where do I need to strip this down to? Because you find what you think is the base, and then you figure out all the cracks and flaws in it. And then you mm. get down even further and further and further. Um, then the name of that book was uh, the under the uh, the history of the underground education of America. It fa fascinating book, but this is something that people are waking up to now. You know, we may have a little more, more experience with it, you know, waking up, you know, maybe a, quite a bit ago, like this was almost 20 years ago for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And um, for, for me, you know, now that, you know, I'm 20 years into this journey and also running this, uh, this new post-traumatic stress mission called brave be, that works with psilocybin you're, you're able to kind of locate this and give people an, an out, right? Like there it's corrupted code. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, like you're saying, you, you've got all these outside influence. Well, that outside influence is corruption. It's not so much that you are corrupt. It's not that you, you know, would have made all of these choices had it not been for a lot of these influences, you know, a lot of what you're instilled with and indoctrinated with in America, especially, and mostly around the world, because, you know, let's face it, the colonial type of education system that came out of Prussia is one of indoctrination so that you find people that are very homogenous in their culture so that when the state says, let's go do something, they don't get a lot of pushback. And that includes up into war. Um, you know, when the pie is not growing, it's very easy for these dictators and tyrants to say, you know what, let's go take from these people who can't defend themselves. So when, you know, when we, you know, do these assessments and take people out for, you know, maybe their first dose of psilocybin to kind of have a, have a more spiritual look and, you know, a, a departed look from exactly who they think they are, that part where you begin to explain corruption to them as coming in from the outside, being indoctrinated to think, you know, a certain way, having all of these things at your fingertips, whether it's porn or sugar or drugs or alcohol or, you know, all this part of your culture. And something that we don't talk about a lot of in this culture is like even EMF, right? Like electromagnetic frequency. And when you begin trying to strip all these things out and getting grounded, like really grounded, you start to see these phenomenal changes in people to where they go, wow. And then the coolest thing is about all this is they begin to forgive themselves for maybe some of the, you know, like I hate to call them transgressions, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where maybe their path didn't go the way they thought it would, or they were duped into something, or they were, you know, it was this homogenous culture that said, this is okay to do, you know, like for, for me example, you know, to have that, you know, idea that I should be going overseas and doing terrible things in a land with people who are not a threat to us in the least, right? For yeah. what? For freedom? Come on, right? To be able to to get past the fact that you were indoctrinated, made some decisions based on that, and then pushed through and found something. Now you're starting to help other people wake up. You can do some really amazing things once you get down to that baseline. Totally. And and as you're saying that, you know, I, I, I cover psychedelics a lot on this show just because it's been such a meaningful uh tool or experience in my development 
but it's almost, I mean, you could almost characterize the, you want to be careful when you're talking about these things because everyone's experience is subjective and, you know, some, not everyone has the same experience, of course. And there's so many, so so many nuances, but I, I think I can safely say whatever your path there, there, there seems to be a pinnacle of that experience, whatever it might be for you. But for, for me, it's always been, it has been that kind of like equivalent of that cognitive neutral, like you're in the ultimate neutral. And perhaps that's why it can be so helpful in helping people see through all the conditioning, all the corruption that they've been subject to and, and with which they've, they've constructed their identity and who they are. And it just, it gives a moment where it's like, boom, it's all gone. And you're like, well, what, what the hell is left? Like, what is this awareness that's even perceiving now when it's not uh, contextualized with all these ideas and identities and associations and histories and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's a, that's a interesting and tough question to answer, but suffice it to say that if it's, it's, it's giving people sometimes very like roughly and in, in, in a, you know, a lot of people may not be ready for that sort of yeah. experience because you do basically undress everyone and they're down to what's fundamental. And then it begs a question like, well, what is fundamental here? I am just like, I, I can feel that I'm not all those things that I've been told I was or that I thought I was. So what am I? And, uh, you know, whatever your answer that may be, maybe it's pure consciousness, loving awareness, pure energy, united with the, you know, right with everything, who knows. Um, but it's from that, I think that's the place where then you can consciously reconstruct. And so when you come out of that experience, you, you know, you come back into your ego and what's familiar and all your, your, your bad, your bad habits and your, uh, you know, your long held beliefs, they don't just disappear immediately. But now there's a, a space there and you can say like, do I want this? Let's, let's call it an idea. Is this an idea that I should hold on to or I should let go or upgrade or update or whatever? Because it just wound up there and maybe I didn't put it there myself. I just, as you said, family, country, all the different conditioning. Right. And um, what, I, what I find so interesting and why I love these conversations and is that, you know, there's so many people now asking profound questions about, you know, who and what they are or should be and what they should value, what, sh- what are valid motives for action and ambition. And, you know, and um, it's so exciting because we are seemingly coming out of like, hopefully the, the apex of, <laughs> of, of this Leviathan culture and system inculcating people to such a degree that they basically lose control of their agency you know, people, people like to think that they're free. I mean, even, even if we discard the political argument, like, you know, oh, we're free, but we, you know, we're told we can't do this, that, and the other thing. And what, what often happens is people just, their notion of their own freedom conforms to the, the, the parameters that they've been uh, permitted, you know? Um, But even beyond the political, it's like, are you really free if you're not in control of your own mind? Like what is being able to choose freely? What is the exercise of free will if you don't have total control over your own mind, if you're at least not aware of the things that are influencing that. And so, you know, you, you could broadly say that this process is the process of people everywhere becoming more free. And then when, when that happens, the, the really juicy question that requires all this dialogue is, well, what the hell do you do with it? You know, what is it worth? <laughs> what should, what should you be doing? You know, if you, if you're not just, 
direct, you come out of the, the fiat meat grinder education system and you get spit out onto some, you know, corporate ladder that, you know, ticks the box of status and income and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's not the automatic thing to pursue, what is it? Yeah. So you got to figure out what is your passion? This is, I think it's one of the scariest questions in the world for some people. It's like, what do you automatically love doing? And, And then how do you, how do you live off of that? Or can you live off of it? Can you figure it out? That that's a scary question for a lot of people, because I don't think a lot of people have a real passion, you know, and that's the thing is I don't, right. I think it hasn't been cultivated. Have, they've been yeah, exactly right. And that's, that's one of the things, you know, I, I talk about passion being fostered, you know, we homeschool our kids and um, you know, when you foster passion, what you allow is for a genius to take root, you know, and as a genius takes root, they put their own look, their own spin, their own work effort and everything else into that passion. What they do is they become a genius of whatever subject material that they're working with. And they'll work day and night, year after year after year, you know, what seems to be just, you know, mania almost to a degree to some people, but because Mm -hmm. they see something, they see, you know, what the in, well, at least what they have in the short term, maybe some long-term goals, but they, it makes sense to them. They see the map for it. And so when you can, when you push, you know, this, this passion and allow passion to develop, you start to have people that go, yeah, you know what, this is what I can do. And I know it's much harder for adults to sit there and be like, man, I'm going to reinvent myself, whether, you know, you're part of the the boomer generation or, you know, maybe Gen X or maybe even an elderly millennial, like you, you, you've kind of been the tail end of the analog, um, you know, for the analog generations for, you know, what it's worth. And now you're looking at new digital generations that can do this much easier much faster without having, you know, a lifetime of like regrets and things that they have to get over. So when you do get to that baseline and you ask yourself those questions, you're like, all right, what's left? What am I, what am I supposed to do? First and foremost, I think, you know, a lot of times what you're left with is like, well, I've got to love people, right? Like I've got to love people. And what you're talking about in terms of that, like that mental influence, um, there was something that we used to talk about in terms of uh, the Marine Corps, it was OODA loop. Uh, that space between your ears, that's yours, it's your fortress. And when, you know, you're in control of this, you can do damn near anything you want. And, and, and that was What's it called? really, it's called the OODA loop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's your mind. And so if you're the master of your mind, it means that you're cognizant of what's not only going into it, but you're, you're also very in control of what's going on in it. And so if you start to, you know, pity yourself, if you start to, you know, uh, get to the point where you're, you're questioning, you know, all these things and don't get me wrong, this gets corrupted as well. But in a pure sense, if you're, if you're using this tool, this OODA loop understanding, you can start to change yourself. There's, there's a great, um, a great doctor uh, now deceased. His name is Dr. Hawkins. And he talked about this in terms of different levels of consciousness and what you see on the lower levels of consciousness that actually resonate at uh, lower frequency is anger shame pity um, th- things of that nature only do you get to kind of a baseline a mid-level form of consciousness at courage because courage is now the impetus to address what you might have been going through and so what you're always trying to do is get out of that lower zone and get into that upper zone 
the joy, the happiness, the the feeling of of one. Uh, and 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 when you start to transcend what you and identify first and foremost, I guess probably talk about that for a second is when you identify that you are feeling shame or pity on yourself or anger or any of these things that are lower vibration, then you have the ability to sit back and say, all right, man, what am I doing? What, what What's going on in my mind? Do I need to do a reset here where I go back to being thankful for my breath? Do I need to do, because, you know, that's, that's the foundation, the foundation is if you can get down to, man, I'm breathing. Okay. Breathe. Right. And you start from there and then work your way up. And you start, you know, the, the grateful task uh, accumulation where you're, where you're going around in your mind at least saying, hey, you know what, thank you for my health, thank you for my family, thank you for like all of these things and taking stock of what's good. Now that OODA loop begins to change, you know, back. And if you do this long enough, it's like it's a muscle, right? It's, it's like anything else. Mm. You get to the point where you can automatically do these kind of things and keep your mind that forces that OODA loop where at least I have this things could be extremely worse off than they are now. And, and, and that's kind of the piece that, you know, where this, you know, like what I'm trying to get people to understand is that OODA loop is yours. And as you work through this, as you strengthen it, as you, you know, grow uh, and understand that, that ladder of consciousness that Dr. Hawkins was talking about, you really have the ability to, to be the master of your own mind and then therefore the, the master of your own life. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I, I remember when I first had the epiphany that like I wasn't my thoughts, you know, cause a hella weird shit flies through your brain <laughs> on any given moment. Right. And, and if you associate with all that, then, you know, who, who how, how are you going to think uh, anything of yourself really? I mean, you're just going to think you're a psychopath basically. <laughs> you might be yeah you may be but uh and you know maybe you need that space to to assess it and and that's kind of the point like not not just not only allowing you to be subject and like let, let the be the tail to which your thoughts wag which your thoughts wag you know and 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 have a have a space there where you're you're able to assess what you're thinking and you you might still see some weird shit and be like why am i thinking that and that that might guide you in the direction of like what do i you know, the thing for me was always the the power of, I mean, it's so funny to me as an aside here, like what seems to be happening culturally right now amongst like perhaps the cohort that we're somewhat a part of is like the, the fusing of like the uber masculine, right? Like just yeah. gritty, hard, you know, combat experience, fighting, working out, whatever with like the woo woo hippie stuff from, from before. And we're just finding the proper synthesis and balance between them. Um, but one of the, 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 for me, the most powerful, I, I, I recognize really the power of belief, you know, because I would, I would think like, why do I have this thought or why do I, I, I like this thing? Like where, where's the source of that even preference, you know, cause we, we don't consider it often, but I could say like, Hey, do you like pineapple on pizza? And you'd be like, God, no. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I, and I might say, well, you didn't choose that preference, right? That's just something you noticed. You're, you're, you're just responding to that. Um, and oftentimes I, I think it's, you know, maybe not for pineapple on pizza, but because that may, maybe your, your taste buds are a bit more uh, cultivated by, you know, your upbringing and your early experiences and stuff like that. But I think beliefs go a long way to informing how we reflexively respond to things. And so for me early on, I was like, okay, well, 
how do I change those to orient me in a direction that I, I think is more valuable or healthy or, or whatever? And that's a tricky question, right? Because the beliefs are another thing that you, you can't trick yourself into believing something. You just, you do or, or you don't. And you kind of, it, it becomes axiomatic in how you act and how it motivates you. And, um, but I, I kind of obsessed with that question. And to me, the, the way you, it seemed to me the best approach was to just to try to find truth. Because at a minimum, if you do that, then the well, your belief will be most coherent with what is, and mm -hmm. that that seemed like the best place to be coming from, and that in, that ended up being cool, right? Because like, I mean, that's a hallmark of truth is that it, it like if you really believe it to be true, then that's the process of inculcating a certain belief. Now, the the slippery slope there, the 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 razor's edge is. If you're wrong, it's going to exact the same effect. You're going to act as though it's true, and that's going to inform all your actions, and it's going to lead you astray because it's in fact not. And you know, there's many examples of that in society today. But I think that is why, uh, in in Bitcoin, broadly speaking, not only because Bitcoin is kind of a so-called truth machine, but I think there's this general reverence for truth, and this is why honesty and integrity is you know upheld so much and reinforced, and and people that don't exhibit it are often ridiculed and stuff like that. And I think it's, yeah, this, this growing reverence for truth. And for me, that was always came in tandem with trying to somehow without tricking myself, cultivate beliefs that I felt would naturally incline me towards the behaviors that I thought were most beneficial, because if it was just a matter of discipline and I'm sure we've all been there like early in life, oh, I want to eat right or on a workout or whatever. But if it was just like, hardcore, stubborn, I'm going to fucking get up and do it because I think it's right. But the little voice in the back of your head is like, I'd rather just chill out on the couch. I mean, for me, that just ended up being exhausting. I was like, this, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm, I, I'm a pretty disciplined person. I got a lot of willpower. I got a lot of willpower, but it's just the internal battle is exhausting. But if, if it, if that voice went away because the more fundamental belief was that I wanted to do a thing because it was going to deliver to me the most desired thing, right? It was going to deliver to me the thing that I wanted. And that voice just completely went away. There would be no more friction in pursuing the actions, the courses of action that were going to deliver to me what I wanted. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, for me, the, the, the cultivation of the, the neutral mind space was important because that's the only way, in my opinion, you have a shot at pursuing truth. Right, because you're you're getting rid of the distortions, you're getting rid of the noise, so that you can better pursue truth. And as a result of doing that, you're able to cultivate beliefs that uh, will allow action to flow more easily in the direction that you know is presumably beneficial for you. Yeah, it, it also allows for the the cultivation of knowledge. And when when you're trying to find truth, you're not that person who's defensive about your beliefs. You're the right, person right. who's questioning your beliefs. That uh, this Bitcoin space is is one of those that I find really, um, really interesting because as dogmatic as we can seem, we are also those people who want to speak. We're like with other people, and it's not just to be heard, but we want to hear what other people have to say. And I think there's a lot of a lot of truth just in understanding who is willing to come to the table to have conversations 
versus who is never going to be available to be questioned. If you're never available to be questioned, you're obviously you're living in a dogmatic world where you've got some you've got some fallacies that are they're mixed up there. You've got some uh, you know s- some real uh, mental. Uh, you know, I guess the the word I'm looking for is uh, uh, cognizance. That's uh, it's being I don't know exploited by I think a fiat system. For, for the lack of a better term, right? You, mm-hmm. You've got some cognitive dissonance going on. And when you can't have these conversations, when you don't feel like you can teach somebody or share with somebody, you know, whatever the truth you think you've found, like, I don't know for us, I mean, it's, it's damn near, um, you know, it, how do you, it's like, you know, how do you know somebody's a Bitcoiner at a party? Don't worry. They'll tell you. It's kind of like a pilot, right? There's like, they're, they're, they're going to tell you like they're, they want to talk about it in whatever degree you'll talk about it with. Um, and they will teach and they'll st- sit there for sometimes hours and hours with somebody who's really, you know, trying to, to learn something or challenging their belief system. And I think that's one of the, the telltale signs that that truth that you're seeking out this, this really, uh, this understanding of what life is, what the purpose of all this is, where we're going as a species, that broader picture. I think that's one of those things where Bitcoiners do themselves a lot of justice is not looking at now that, you know, that long time or, you know, horizon, you know, and, and they, they're not just, they're not focused on the here and now, like so many people in this, this world are, especially, uh, the ones that have a lot of power, you know, this, this fiat system that we're seeing now is just, oh boy. I mean, after watching WEF this last week, you know, it was, you, you see it and you're just like, boy, these guys are right here right now. They, they, they act like they're, you know, talking about the future, but when you really boil it down, what they're doing is trying to mitigate the blowback from, you know, when the entire thing implodes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things about Bitcoiners that I think is interesting, you know, it's it's often just kind of labeled low time preference, right? Stack sats, think towards the future, you know, don't uh, delay gratification, basically. And that's all true. But I, I think to your point, like the the mentality of someone who, you know, wants to be right all the time and it wants to impose their existing um set of beliefs, let's say, or ideology on other people. And this type of person that we were referring to before, which is just like gobbling up this unconscious signal, you know, from everywhere. It's almost like that you wouldn't, you're not surprised that that instills or is a result of a a perspective of desiring immediate gratification. I want the gratification of being right. I want the gratification of the shitty food. I want the gratification of the reinforced <laughs> belief. I want the gratification of my, you know, gov- daddy government telling me everything's going to be okay. And so on and so forth. Um, where it seems like, you know, people in Bitcoin and maybe people along the lines, even if they're not in Bitcoin that have a perspective, like the one we've been discussing, um, there's a, there's a profound sense, there's a sufficient comfort in and confidence in who they are at a fundamental level yeah. that they don't need the gratification of all those different kinds. Like you, you don't need, because, you know, a lot of, for example, back to the point about eating, a lot of eating is emotional, right? Why do you eat the, the bucket of ice cream? Why do you go for the chips? I mean, it's not just, I mean, y- your taste buds are, are, 
referring to something, right? It's like, and, and so I think a lot of it is emotional. And if you, if you're good, right. If you've put into work, if you're starting to understand yourself, if you're striving to, for more, you know, more clarity of mind, let's say, I think you understand, like you're more capable of resisting that gratification. And, yeah. and you, and I think that happens in all areas to the point where you, you push away the need for all that gratification. And then like we were saying before, it's like, well, what's left? Well, what's left is seemingly a, a, a fairly honest, a fairly honest um, perception or appraisal of oneself, like mm -hmm. who and what one is, and then a greater clarity on what is truly of the greatest value to people. And, you know, what do you know? It ends up not being all those things that typically are in the category of immediate gratification, Lambos, ice cream, <laughs> winning debates, whatever. And it's those, those more, for lack of a better term, I mean, metaphysical doesn't capture it all, but it's like, well, you want strong and healthy and loving relationships and you want a strong, healthy body and you want, you know, to spend time in nature and you want to do work that's the, where the the most important variable is how meaningful it is for you and not, you know, what the immediate rewards might be. And so it's like all of those pursuits end up now being both a result of and probably reinforcing this, uh, you having shrugged off the need for them to gratify whatever element of, of you it might be. And I think, you know, again, broadly speaking, that's what constructs and reinforces a positive, healthy culture versus the one we have now. Yeah, it also leads to a culture of independence. And I think that's a really interesting thing because a lot of times, especially in in America, we talk about independence and we celebrate things like the 4th of July when most people are extremely independent. Um, you still got me? Change my AirPods are fucking up. Yeah, I got you. Hold up. on. You're good. Yeah, all right. One of the things that that breeds in a culture is is independence, and, and I was saying like the the idea of independence in America is just an idea. It's not it's not a way of life. And when you can go in and you can have these battles with yourself, and this is a this is a thing I don't think a lot of people are very comfortable with. Um, the the idea of going in and combating yourself, like taking a look at what's really messed up or what, you know, could use improvement or what your foundations are. I don't think a lot of people are ready for that battle. I don't think they're ready for the struggle of questioning themselves because they get enough. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I get enough questions from everybody else in my life. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't need, you know, to, to get in here and actually battle myself. Mm -hmm. There's this uh, thing that we talk about a lot of times is um, the corruption of the warrior spirit as well. And I'm not saying, you know, it's, it's all, all people who have ever been in the military. No, this this idea of independent culture and the perversion of the warrior spirit, I think, is kind of one in the same, actually, is where the if you're strong enough to go in and have these these understandings, these these real debates with yourself, these knockdown drag out, like going through the ringer uh, type of uh, trips a lot of times with uh, psilocybin, if you're willing to do these and I think a lot of times you find that a lot of guys who have the post-traumatic stress and that's, that's just people in general. Like that's not, that's not exclusive to, you know, veterans for everybody has trauma. Everybody has stress. And so to be able to go in and address these things, 
where you, what you start to do is you start to have people who really understand what does give them appreciation, what does give them passion, what does give them value in terms of the work that they're doing. And when they begin to do these works, when they begin to settle into a new type of lifestyle and take that path, the perception that somebody is going to come out through force and coercion and put their hand out or possibly escalate to saying, we're going to use coercion, we're going to use force up into including taking your life. I think that's what this does. I think this is where this independent warrior class of people who can do the self, you know, you know, and I guess fighting, they can, they can go in and do battle with themselves and then turn it to the outside to where they are cultivating passion. This is where a culture becomes more independent because an independent culture that, you know, is so passionate about what they're doing and how they're living. That is a hard people to take advantage of. It is a hard people to coerce. At some point they go, you know what, if I can't do this with my life, then maybe life isn't worth living. And I'm going to do anything and everything within my, my power to protect these things. I think that's a really amazing point, like in, in terms of like, especially the psilocybin side. And I think this, this regime that's out there, and I'm not just saying like it's the U.S., you know, the, the banking cabal um, that I think is probably holding hands with the church, uh, obviously politicians and big business. For a long time, they've said, yeah, you know, like all this stuff is, you know, forbidden. This is schedule one stuff. You can't touch it. You know, it's outlawed in damn near every nation around the world. And now that we're starting to get a foothold again, where we can, you know, get our hands on very good quality and education in terms of, you know, the shamanic ways that have started to come back and return and spread, you know, uh, this is something that I think, you know, has been organized for a very, very long time to prevent people from being that warrior class and being very independent. Yeah. Well, it'd be hard to argue with that. You know, it's, I can see, well, I mean, I always, let, let's talk about it this way because, you know, you mentioned the the WEF people a moment ago, and we've been talking about how, I, you know, so many people are walking around and effectively they're not in control of their thoughts, right? Nor are they yeah. aware of perhaps the, the things they need to be to, uh, it, what's the way of putting it? I mean, people are so blind to even what they should be striving for, like that they they haven't had the experience yet to cause them to wake up. And like, I almost hate using that term because I'm being incredibly presumptuous by saying like, oh, like they're they're not awake. I'm awake. Like I'm awake, you know. Um, but I don't think too many people. I don't think people listening will, will mind too much because we all have a probably a pretty. Uh, there's a lot of MP. We we observe a lot of NPCs out there, and we probably wish. Uh, there's a little bit more thoughtfulness uh, injected into everything, but you know, th that, that aspect of, of like, what I'm trying to say is people are, people create this for themselves, right? Like the, the world we see is just a product of all of our thoughts and the actions that they inspire. Right. And so I, of course, I think people at the helm of large organizations and with a lot of power, they collude and organize and act in their own best interests, just as you know, people in much smaller organizations do. You know, you that's just that's 
that's what we do. We, we try to improve our situation and we use the tools and influence available to, uh, of doing so. And, um, you know, so when it comes to, you know, the, the banking cabal and the, the, you know, the government and the pharmaceutical and all that kind of stuff and the WEF people, like, again, I'm sure there's, there's collusion, but I, I actually think they're just, I think most of them think they're doing good. And I think their ego causes them to think that I think like they, they think they know what's best for the world and therefore they're justified in imposing it. I, we won't use that language, but you know, <laughs> well, I mean, I think you're justified in, in, in using that. Right. But, but like uh, coaxing or inspiring people to see the legitimacy of our, of our solution sort of thing, you know, right. it's um, a incentivization model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but again, like I, and I, I think Bitcoin is tremendously important for this because, you know, I've always felt this way, but the question for me was like, well, yeah, but so, okay, it's not the the big dark cabal you have to fight. It's, it's the people you have to engage and, and get them to, to change. But how do you do that? You know, short of shoving 10 grams of mushrooms down every living soul's, <laughs> you know, mouth, you know, yeah. um, and that's not practical. So, you know, that, that was always one of the, the stumbling blocks for me. And I'm, I'm part of the reason why I'm basically all I do is, is Bitcoin stuff now is because I see that as the proper incentive to bring people in and to, of course, not immediately, but to get them to receive different value signals and respond to them on a more fair, more truthful basis. And that alone, over the course of time, that just more truthful feedback will grind away at the, the composite that they've constructed based on corruption and falsity and distortion. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, then you'll just have those moments where people you know, more and more just kind of click and they, they have that moment where things don't really jive anymore. And that's the splinter in their mind that causes them to go down the rabbit hole. So as it were, and, and, and try to go on that hero's journey or, or recapitulate or reconstruct their, their perspective. And, you know, the other thing about the, the WEF people, and, and like, I'm not discrediting all the, like, I know the young, whatever they're called, the leaders are in the cabinets of all the countries, yeah. governments, and, you know, the, the tentacles are, are everywhere, but I'm so, I'm so not like impressed or afraid or like with these people, like, yeah. and I, I think we, we, we give them too much power by blaming everything on them. And by always pointing out like everything that they do, I don't care what they do, you know, like, and if it's your thing to be that way inclined to shed light on it, like I, I do think it's good that certain things are brought to light and we know that these people are in the cabinets of everywhere. So I'm not saying like completely, completely ignore, but I guess all I'm saying is I think we sometimes focus too much on just like trying to pinpoint who the bad guy is and all the different ways they're working instead of just being like, you're a pathetic piece of shit, you know, for basically being bad or at least not being aware of how your well-intended actions are exerting so much, you know, pain and suffering on people. Yeah. Um, and I would rather just focus on the things and the people that are attempting to alleviate that, that are attempting to do things the right way. And again, you have this faith, like you know, it might be one of the most paramount faiths, but like, if you're, if you truly believe in the, believe in the kind of redemptive power of truth and freedom, then you have to believe that if you put all your energy behind that, the more people that do it, that will resolve 
through the course of time and who the hell knows how, you know, how long that will be, or rather it would be an ongoing, you know, an ongoing process forever, but hopefully tilting uh, more in favor of truth and freedom. And that's like, what else could you, what more could you hope for? And what would be a better strategy? So yeah, I, um, the WEF people just, they don't take much of my uh, mental space up because I, I find them so yeah. pathetic kind of basically. It's it's one of those things where I, I I keep up with it because I there's this transitionary period. I mean, you, you know, the, probably the two of us have been going through it for a long time. And one of the things you know that I see with Bitcoiners or libertarians that is done very poorly is this this aspect of empathy. Is all right. How do we take the guys that are you know normies? Right. You know, you know who they are. They're they're you're your friends, you're maybe your parents, maybe whoever they are. And you're trying not to be that asshole that's like, hey, like this is why it's all you're a up. fucking normie. <laughs> right. that, that is not a good sales pitch. Yeah. So to to empathize with people and meet them where they're at and identify the problems that they're concerned about. And then help provide the solution is one of the, the areas I work. And like to your point, you know, this I don't think a lot of people are actually really bad people. I think there's a, a gross and, and backwards incentive structure right. that, you know, is very powerful uh, that people, you know, are persuaded by. There's a lot of glitz and glam and, and you know, all of this fame and fortune that comes along with taking, you know, what, you know, I believe is the the ultimately the the bankers. Uh, point of view in terms of what their agenda might be. And so when I see this with, you know, WEF, I'm always reminded of Carlin, uh, when Carlin would say, you know, he was on a panel one time, and he started saying something. And uh, this guy next to him said, you know, this is a conspiracy. And Carlin just shot back very, very matter of factly is you don't need a conspiracy where interests overlap. So when you have interest overlap between banks and tycoons and church and um, you know, the, the politicians and, mm. you know, that you have interest overlapping on extremely high levels with lots and lots and lots of money behind it. And in total, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think what we're looking at now is this, this idea that you've got, you know, this, uh, you know, net zero, uh, you know, and, 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 and all of the ESG crap that's going on out there. And I think that's partly due because, um, I was talking about it earlier today. We we've gotten to the point where a lot of the nations, like the BRICS nations, aren't going to be accepting this fiat anymore. And a lot of the BRICS nations are the guys that have a bunch of the carbon types of fuels, whether it's petroleum or gasoline. And so now, what do you have? What are you left with? If they're not going to take a lot more fiat, or if they're taking you know more fiat for less product, what you have is an energy supply problem. You have an energy shortage, and a lot of the nations that are fiat. Uh, nations, whether it's the US, UK, the EU, you know, in terms of country or, uh, you know, combined countries. And so what are they looking to do in all of this is reduce the blowback. If you're they were trying to reduce the blowback and you understand like where, you know, all of this is coming from, you understand why guys like Al Gore or Greta Thornburg or anybody else is, you know, an ESG pimp out there is relevant, not only relevant, but held up on a pedestal the way they are is because these guys are shilling uh, for this, this malincentive to, that's building, you know, being put forth by the banks. And it's, it, I mean, w once you start to see all of this and the only, you know, I think the only reason to understand the only way to really understand this is from 
kind of this Austrian Bitcoin point of view, where if you understand there's an alternative to what's going on and that we should be using power and maybe we should be using more power and that maybe this isn't really what's why they're pushing this as, you know, it's bad for you. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for the earth. Maybe it's really just to cover their ass so that when this whole system comes apart and there's, you know, no, no fuel, no, no carbon or, you know, carbon-based fuels that, you know, they were to blame for it all. And I think that's really kind of where you get to with a lot of the problems that we're seeing today is the, the more that they can control the, the narrative, the situation, you know, the, the headlines and, you know, all the glitz and glamour from celebrity coming out there. Um, I think that's what you get to, but to, to show people there is an out, there is an alternative, there is this, you know, this amazing technology now that's going to free humanity over the course of our lifetimes. I think that is the piece where you can transition them to go, huh? And that's a seed. It's a seed. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. You can't, you're not going to force you. Like nobody's going to become a Bitcoiner overnight. They're definitely yeah. not going to become like an Austrian, you know, overnight. Like that's just not how any of that works. It didn't work that way for me. It didn't work that way for anybody who read more than two books. Like it's one of those things where you got to plant a seed and that empathy to just give that scratch that they go back and go, yeah, maybe I should learn a little bit more about that. Maybe I should pick up that book that he gave me. What, you know, whatever. It does really help um, to bring people along to, you know, maybe a, a new beginning. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. You know, and I, what I, my, my approach and what I often say is like, very few people are receptive to, you know, the bad guys rule the world argument, whether it's the WEF or the banking guys or, or whomever. And, and most, most so-called normal people don't even want to hear about you know, any corruption anywhere, because, you know, obviously that's an uncomfortable feeling to admit that to yourself that like, oh, first of all, you didn't know how fucked up things were. And second of all, they're so <laughs> fucked up. Like how, how much does that shake your worldview? Like really? Right. And, but what people, what everybody wants is just a better life, more opportunity, more love, more, uh, more joy, more happiness, more, you know, more abundance, all those kind of things. And if we're right about, about Bitcoin, more freedom, that's what it provides, right? It's it's just a better means of interacting amongst ourselves and transmitting, storing, expressing value between us and all the benefits that accrue from that. And so, you know, in my opinion, the, the thing to do, and again, to each their own, but my approach is to just lean into like the how this can improve your life. You know, we were, we were saying before about getting to that neutral point, you know, cognitively, let's say, and how psychedelic psychedelic experiences are part of that and your diet and your your routine and fitness and all that stuff but bitcoin was that piece that seemed to to bring the clarity on the world you know like you may have been seeing how things work but it's so complex and it's so convoluted and as you say it's structured on such perverse and false and unfair incentives that it's it's hard to get a grasp for how that how all that works but i think what a lot of people in bitcoin recognize is when you put on the the orange lenses Right? When you put on that orange Bitcoin filter and then look out on the world and kind of graph that onto the world, then it starts to make a lot of sense. You can see where things have, have gone astray. You can see the right way that they're su- supposed to be structured. Um, 
And amongst other things, that just gives you one, a confidence that now you can engage the world more capably. And two, that you can do so on terms that like you can really be convicted in. This is how it, you know, I, it's supposed to be. This is the degree of honesty. This is the degree of truth. This is the degree of freedom that is optimal for human beings to interact in the world. And again, if, if we can do that and invite all the, the good that acting in that way or invite all the good that acting in that way makes available to us, then people in your life are, are going to be the ones being like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what yeah. are you, what are you doing for all those things? You know, tell me about the psilocybin once a year. Tell me about your diet. Tell me about this Bitcoin thing, because as I, you know, people love to buy and they hate to be sold. Right. And so that, that, that like that conspiracy corrupt pitch is very uncomfortable and people resist it. But, but just seeing that people are living a, you know, a healthy, well-balanced and hopeful or optimistic life, everybody wants that. And I think slowly but surely as, you know, the Bitcoin demographic and the parallel economy that everyone's engaging in grows, that'll just become way, more and more apparent with every yeah. day, every month, every year until it's inarguable. People are like, do you want to stay in this, you know, <laughs> shitty fiat land? Or do you want to come over here in Orange Land? And people are going to be like, I want to go over there in Orange Land. It looks way fucking better over there. And then we'll be like, come on in. The door's open. Yeah, it's so easy. I, and I know. And that's, I mean, when when you get into that that paradigm where it kind of just shows everybody, that's, that's the one thing, like, you know, uh, from the whole psilocybin experience I took, right? It's like, you can't take the experience to anybody else right but what is resounding about it is a if if you're asking during these experiences what do i take what do i take to show the world about this one thing you take is love that's mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and if you could codify if you could literally codify love bitcoin would be it why because peace and consent is the minimum amount of love you have to show a stranger on this planet that's it just peace and consent. You don't have to give them anything. You, you can't take anything from them. You can leave them alone. They can leave you alone. On the other hand is force and coercion, right? Like that's CBDCs, that's fiat, that's everything else. If, if you can take that one little piece and say, will you love your fellow human being enough to leave them alone? Then you've got it. That's it. And that is where Bitcoin comes in. It's, it's, it's literally codified. You can't take people's stuff. You got to leave people alone unless you come to them with a, you know, a proposal that makes sense to them where you're going to have to come to them uh, from a, from a logical, reasonable standpoint, whether it's barter or trade, you know, services or products, that one piece of code for the entire human race where you get to go, yeah, you know what? We have cracked the code on what we should be doing in terms of transactions. And that's love. That's yeah. peace and consent. And the only thing that does that forever uh, right now is Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I, interestingly, I think the the element of it where it can only be obtained through convincing someone to voluntarily give it to you, that's mm -hmm. kind of like the individualism aspect of Bitcoin. You know, like you have to make a case for me to give you something of value for something that you give me a value. But I think, you know, the the metaphor, if we want to call it that, works in another way. And I think it's because it treats everyone the same and yeah. because it connects everyone on the same basis. You know, maybe I'm taking a little bit of license here, but I think it, it also conveys, a, a, you know, the metaphor extends to unconditional union, let's say, 
because mm-hmm. everyone is is connected in the same way with everybody else without condition you know and i think that's again that's kind of another hallmark of the psychedelic experience because you one of the things is often reported is this sense of unconditional union or love with everything basically um and so i think interestingly as you say i mean bitcoin is kind of the manifestation of if not that experience many of the principles that you tend that tend to come up in that experience manifested in the world in a manner in which we can engage with other people in and importantly verify that they're engaging in the same way and if we both if we all make those mutual agreements then what opens up is basically well yeah is a is a system for interacting with one another that acts as though love is the fundamental motivating principle or something or operating principle something like it's, that. it's funny when you're talking earlier is where you take this kind of like this warrior type of mindset <laughs> and, dippy, and you were spot on when you're saying that is that is one of the culminating parts of a lot of times when we're out here on on this brave mission is you know if these guys you know uh they, they come out and we start discussing this and what they're going to be able to take away from it and you you know maybe have never been you know talked to about bitcoin at all right and as they're going through and shedding you know their their past life or the you know what they consider their transgressions and now for the first time they're being introduced to a new code right like scrap that old corrupted code bullshit that you went through forgive yourself and then plug this in right like this is this is where it is and you start to see uh, a lot of times because this is obviously an ongoing project i mean it's a, it's a lifelong you know uh commitment right it's, it's like you want to come do this well guess what i'm going to i'm probably going to pester you for the rest of your life to see how you're doing um and as they go through and they begin to see you know the broader picture is if you introduce them to this new code and they really gravitate towards it because the old code was so corrupted and they start, they just see it at that fundamental level. Boy, you want to talk about evangelists for, you know, the, the right, the right cause, the right, um, you know, go, go, not only go out and do this, but like become, a, become another leader, go out and do what I do, go out and, and, and do this all over the place. And so that's, that's one of the, the final things that we you know, kind of get to in this whole process out here is, Hey, you know, I don't know what your passion is, but maybe this will help you find your passion. Maybe yeah. plug this new code in and, and, and find something new. Totally. Can Maybe it's a good time to kind of explain a bit more about what it is you do. Cause uh, it's, uh, I don't even really know. Yeah. So, um, brave is a, a post-traumatic stress mission that I started out here in, uh, in North Georgia. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing kind of came to me because one of my good friends from jujitsu, um, you know, we were off on the side talking and all this kind of stuff. And he's a shaman. And, you know, this guy is just salt of the earth, great guy. Uh, and, you know, came up and we were talking and he's, he's like, you ever, he's like, you ever fuck with fungus? <laughs> and I was like, mushrooms? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, you know, and, and he, in a very, you know, like, brotherly type of way you know a guy you've gone a couple rounds with who's beat your ass and everything right, else right. and um you know not not to make light of it in, in any sense of the city you know we're not going out to the club or any of that kind of bullshit right, right. Um, 
And uh, I said, man, no, I've, I've never done uh, mushrooms in my life. And it's something that I've actually warmed up to uh, over the years. And he goes, when was this? Oh, this is years ago. It's probably 20, 2019, 20, early 2020 before things got weird. Oh, and, so relatively uh, new kind of. Yeah. I, you know, I was, man, I was so straight laced growing up. Um, and, you know, you grow up here in the deep South and you're not only, you know, told about the, the, you know, the war on drugs and everything, but like the whole Southern Baptist religion down here is you know, you're going to hell if you ever do anything like this. Right. So when, um, when, when we finally got to the point where the time was right, you know, went out and, uh, he introduced me, uh, to a, to a hero's dose. You know, I, I had done a lot of experimenting with, uh, you know, high, high amounts of, uh, THC, like ingestible THC, like, you know, 500 milligrams at a time, just trying to get to that point where, you know, I did notice over time that as I would experiment with higher doses of THC that I was breaking through something different, like a very psychedelic experience versus just, you know, giggles, feeling right. good, sleep, all that kind of stuff. You ever done it in a flow tank, an edible, edible in a flow tank? I have. Yeah. That's a, that's an it's interesting a experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For somebody who doesn't like to be hot or closed in, it's kind of the opposite of, I mean, that's, it's a little more harsh for me. Like I like going out here, uh, the backyard is a mountain, right? Like I've got, Oh yeah, me too. But I had, I had to give it a whirl, you know? And, um, yeah, I've, I've never done psilocybin or anything in a float tank, but I've done high dose, uh, THC and it's a trip. Yeah, it is definitely a trip. <laughs> I, I didn't, I wouldn't recommend it if it's something you want to do then, you know, by all means, but um, yeah, we went out on the mountain. I think it was actually uh, Good Friday, which was really kind of serendipitous, right? Because I grew up as a Christian and all these other things. And I've got my my shaman who is um, who's uh, I guess Puerto Rican via Egypt, right? And so he he's yeah he's, he's different, definitely a, a different guy. And so as we're sitting out there, uh, you know, having this initial trip. Uh, you know, you, you start to come back out and kind of like what I call phase two, right? Is you've gone through your hour and a half, two hours worth of trip. And this is, this is early in the morning. Uh, this is kind of the, our practice, right? You go out before the sun rises. So it's still black. Um, and, and you really get to have a, a really powerful experience. And then as the world starts to wake up, you kind of come out of this and mm. you're kind of reborn to a degree. And it was cold. It was like 30 something degrees. We, you know, we had all the proper outdoor gear and all that fun stuff. And we're, we're well prepared in terms of being outdoorsmen. But, um, that was something that changed, changed my life forever. Right. And so I was like this, we have to replicate this. There are, there are other things that we have to do. And he being a shaman and saying, yeah, this is, this is what it's all about. You know, this is about finding the people who are receptive and then making them fellow travelers. And he hadn't messed with Bitcoin at all, right? So this wasn't one of those things. And I was just freshly into it. So over the years, you know, we would meet out here and we'd go out and we'd have a trip and we'd talk some more and we'd have experiences and that, you know, um, would get more intense. Uh, we, you know, we, we would be more intent, but we would also go for larger trips and things. And as we were finding out about what, you know, was going on here, we were also finding out about the land we were in, you know, this amazing uh, piece of history right in my backyard. It's like an ancient Cherokee and, and probably even more ancient than the Cherokee Indians. Uh, there's bent trees all over the place. There's giant granitic boulders on top of Talladega, you know, ridges where they should not be. 
And so we're finding like all of these really interesting places out here. And I was like, God, we have, we've got to get our shit together and we have got to show people what this is about. And then, um, you know, really talk to him. And at the time I you know, was talking to him about Bitcoin and we were kind of overlapping his knowledge of, uh, you know, being a shaman and mine about Bitcoin and, you know, economics and all these things. And as it all kind of came together, there was that, the epiphany. And so with that, I started brave and have been taking guys out and having these experiences, introducing them, um, to Bitcoin at the, you know, towards the tail end of everything is in, in so that they kind of see the, the full circle piece of this. And, you know, to, to see guys, you know, and get texts and, you know, messages or calls from the, the guys that will come out here and do these like, Hey brother, peace. I love you. How are you doing? Like, you know, it's just, <laughs> just this foundation of super solid, you know, super solid guys that have had their life changed. And now we're on a new path. Like that's, that's what brave is. And so, you know, the, the goal is over time to not only have that here, but to take that around, you know, hopefully the world, but definitely the United States and start, you know, telling stories and showing people and doing this evangelism. That's not just psilocybin, but it's a new way for us to, you know, to put into a, a code, how we're supposed to treat each other, which I think, you know, in the big scheme of things, when I, you know, kind of made the mention of, uh, you know, Good Friday, like Good Friday is the celebration of, you know, Christ rising and all those things where, you know, I'm not, not very religious, but I am extremely, uh, I don't know, faith driven, I guess, in a very mystical sort of way. Like I definitely believe in the higher power. Um, but to share this understanding, at least where you go, Hey, you know, like I see these other people out here, I see the struggle. And if we can, if we can help them out, if we can help them through, uh, the traumatic experiences of their, you know, their former self and their, their old life, then that's, that's what, good enough for me. That's, that's what we're doing. Right. And are these like one-on-one -on -one, or do you go out with a group? So far it's been a common, it's mostly been a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, so a very tailored type of, um, and a lot of vets, a lot of vets, uh, and some Bitcoiners, you know, and that's the thing is some bit, vet Bitcoiners as well, uh, that, you know, where you start to see, you know, how you, how do you, how are you going to make this work? Mm. And the way you make this work is, you know, it's not just going to be the vets. It's going to be, you know, this people in the space that see what you're doing, that are going to be behind what you're doing. And then, you know, obviously, you know, put, put value behind it. And so when you can perpetuate this and you can, you know, get one of these, you know, microphones in the camera and then start, you know, going around and you see it. I mean, that's the thing is once you know who you're looking for, it just pops out. It's like, it's like the damn matrix, right? You can go agent, 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 there's a good one, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of in that, in, in that vein, but like, you know, the people that you want to come out here and, um, to, it, from that side. And so, and I know God, the, the amount of vets I just know from, you know, being a vet, it's just like that guy, that guy, not that guy for, you know, bring the guys out here that are going to do real good in the world that don't have the capacity to do, you know, the, the bad things, right? Like that's, that's the thing. You don't bring the shady grifter types. You bring, you bring out the people who are, you know, really, really solid. Yeah. Man, what, what have the last two years, or maybe the, the better way to ask it is, what was your perspective like, you know, pre-2019, 2020? Because it seems like both Bitcoin and this the psychedelics have 
you know, created a fairly substantial shift in your perspective, at least on certain things in the last two years. And then of course, amongst that, we had all the COVID bullshit and, and, and the, all the other bullshit that came along with that, yeah. which has caused a lot of change in, in, in people. So like, where were you at three years ago, you know, and, and how, how much has all this changed you? So I got a vehicle, man. That, that was the best part. I got, I got an upgrade. Um, I had this lofty idea of, uh, libertarianism, um, based right. in Austrian, Austrian economics. And so I wasn't, you know, a foreigner to the idea of, you know, uh, long time horizons or delayed gratification or, um, you know, just, just this idea that we had to switch from a fiat debt type of fractional reserve banking type of culture into one of savings, but there was no vehicle. Right. Like you're sitting here, you're fighting a system where you want freedom, where you want people to do amazing things and realize their passion. But what you're dealing with is the tiny little party that will never have incentive to, uh, will, will never incentivize people with lots of money and lots of power, the banks, the tycoons, you know, the other politicians, like they don't want anything to deal with that. They don't want nothing to do with it. So there's no incentive to be part of, you know, the smaller third party, there's, there's none, there's a lot of principle in it. And so the, the ideas were there. The, the problem is, is we didn't have a vehicle. So when we found the vehicle, it was just like, man, what a, what an epiphany. It was just like, guys, I don't know what you're doing in politics. And I, I understand that there's a soapbox for you to stand on, but at the same time, if you're standing on that soapbox, you should be, probably presenting a real solution and giving these guys a vehicle to get to where we want to be as, you know, as people who want to set the human race free. And so for me, man, it was just one of those things where you're like, yeah, if you're walking, let's say you're walking from, from, you know, San Diego to DC, you know, you're, you're using those black Cadillacs to, to, you know, to, to walk along through the mountains and all of a sudden, you know, you get to, maybe Arizona where you're frying to death and you know, nothing's going to go your way and you're probably going to die. And here comes this like supercharged, whatever your dream vehicle is. Hey, <laughs> hey, loser, get inside. Right. And now you're just on a mission. You're, you're in this air conditioning, you're, you're moving along. You've got, you know, you've got a real opportunity to see this thing through and get it to where you want to be. So I think that's that, that was the biggest change in, you know, I'd had revelations before that where, you know, the whole drugs are bad thing. And, you know, then, you know, all that nonsense in the past where that kind of got a second look, especially after uh, coming back and trying it. Um, you know, when, when I finally was out, I think I was in Colorado snowboarding or something and, you know, weed was, you walk in, you buy it. And I was like, wow, nobody's, you know, nobody's dying. And, uh, you know, the, the guy, the bud tender behind the bar said something like, uh, you know, hey, man, if, if you're looking for a good head hire or something like that, try this Asian blonde. And I just laughed and I was like, sure, why not? And yeah, we went back to, uh, back to the cabin, had a good smoke. And I was like, what in the world are they I've talking lied about? To. Yeah, so this whole, <laughs> it's all fucking lied. <laughs> and and yeah, I think at that point it's just, you know, all right, if they're lying about even this kind of stuff, why are they lying about this kind of stuff? And he just, I mean, there's a great book uh, by Brian Moraski. It's uh, the immortality key or the key to immortality. Either yeah. One. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I read it. Boy, what a, what a fantastic read. And mm -hmm. you start to see kind of the church's involvement in some of the stuff. Um, 
And, you know, you just, now you're just like, all right, everything that they've ever taught me is, <laughs> is at least to be questioned. I say bullshit, but that's me maybe a little hyperbolic because, you know, a lot of what they give you is about 90 something percent truth. And then they twist right. it. Need some more scrutiny, right? You're not going to maybe ditch it yet, but a little bit of a closer look. I actually kind of believe them that uh, meth is bad and don't do crack. (laughs) (laughs) Like the the mushrooms and the psilocybin. I don't know. I think it's all right. You know, it's funny. I, um, you know, I've been asked many times, like what my, as we all are, what our Bitcoin rabbit hole journeys are. And I, I think my most common answer was, was trying to buy DMT came across the Silk Road and they were only using Bitcoin. And, and so like, that's the first time I'd heard about it. A friend and I, a friend of mine and I, anyways, we, we didn't do it. We pushed out. We didn't want to have DMT delivered to wherever. <laughs> um, it was like 2000. I don't know when it was 11, 12, 13, one of those. Um, but then I, you know, as I've been thinking about it more recently and cause you know, you, you also, especially in light of the last two years, you ask yourself like, when did you realize it was all bullshit? Because a lot of people had a waking up moment of the last two years, but a lot of us also like, as soon as this started kicking off, we were like, oh, this is going to be completely insane. Like they're going to yeah. do everything wrong. Everything's going to be trampled on. This is just how the, the system responds to these things. And I was, you know, so I was trying to track it back. And the the response I usually gave was just always been a curious person, big reader from a young age and ended up wondering about the world. And you know, you investigate how everything works long enough and, you know, you kind of come to the impression that it, it doesn't work super well, or there's lots of, lots of issues. Um, but I think like the more precise answer would be, and I bring it up cause you kind of jog my memory here. Uh, when I was, I, I started smoking weed super young, probably too young. It was like, um, I think I smoked my first joint at 14, maybe something like that. And, um, and it, I was always a responsible smoker for what it's worth. Like I'd get my workout done. I'd get my homework done. I'd like, and I'd be all ritualistic about it. I get my favorite foods together. And, you know, like when it was time to just relax and enjoy and ev- all the hard work was done, I just amplify it with some weed, you know, and I didn't see much of a, a problem with it. Um, but it was the fact that I had realized at such a young age that this thing was not what everyone was saying about it. You know, they're saying it's all like an addictive, dangerous drug, all this kind of stuff. I was like, what? Like this, this thing just makes food taste better. And I laugh a lot and I get a good sleep. Like what? I don't understand why, like, this is just crazy to me, you know, and that the, the disparity of what was being said about it and what the reality was just caused me to like that much more question that much more everything else. Um, and, and, if I even look more specifically at it, I was, as a result of my interest in weed, I knew this guy, Mark Emery, the so-called Prince of Pot in Canada, who, <laughs> who, who was extradited to the US for having sold, he had a seed business, right? So he was selling, and he was, I think, number five on the most wanted list in the US because he was selling cannabis seeds. And the Canadian government acquiesced to the extradition request. And so he, he went to the US and he did, I can't remember now, five, seven, something like that that in in prison but when he was trying to fight it he had a ron paul t-shirt on one time and i was watching him on like you know whatever argument he was making why he shouldn't be extradited which obviously i agreed with but uh he had a ron paul shirt on and so then i was like oh who's this ron paul guy and why is he on this guy's t-shirt i go into ron paul start going learning about the federal reserve and all that kind of stuff so i think 
the most accurate response to, you know, the beginning of my Bitcoin rabbit hole story was smoking pot, you know, at, at a young age and having that be the thing that, you know, set, put me on the path and caused me to ask the questions that made Bitcoin even relevant, you know? Yeah, that was high gear for me. I mean, I, I was questioning, <laughs> I found it was John Taylor Gatto, then Ron Paul, a lot of reading in between there. And then, man, I think, I think I had found the anti-federalists and Lysander Spooner who are all like, you know, fuck this whole, like this whole thing is stupid. The centralization effort is the dumbest damn thing ever. I didn't sign any contract. I'm not part of this bullshit. Like your magic letters on a, on a piece of parchment have nothing to do with me. And that was right around 2015. That's when I, you know, really found pot. And I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with these guys now. <laughs> yeah, Ron, Ron Paul did it for a lot of guys. Man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. You know, as, as a doctor who was like, yeah, what are we doing? Lock it up, guys like, you know, Ross Ulbrich and, uh, and, and you know, Jesus Christ. Like, you go down that whole thing. But I, like, it's, I, I love that meme where, it's Master Splinter with the four Ninja Turtles and yeah. Master Splinter's Ron Paul and the Bitcoiners are the the Ninja Turtles. It's perfect. Um, but, you know, when, when typically, or not typically, but I think it's fairly common that when people have those experiences, they think more about withdrawing from it all than leaning into it. And, you know, you recently made a bid in the gubernatorial race in Georgia, right? Yeah. And so uh, uh, I watched some of the debates love to see you know some of these ideas and perspectives that you articulated getting airtime i can only imagine how it bounced off the uh the brains of most of the people listening but you know tell me about why you decided to you know get involved in all that stuff yeah and it was actually the catalyst um you know the, the whole joe rogan bit where he talks about you know the girl going home getting high and her dog talks to her and like all that bullshit, like you don't, you don't do anything anymore. And I'm like, Man, oh, right. <laughs> like when I started doing this, I started keeping a notebook, right? Like I would just write down everything that, you know, I was doing and wanted to do and like just putting things into fruition at that point. And I was pissed, you know, like I was, I was a vet. I was pissed. We weren't freer, like nothing, none of that kind of stuff mattered. And I was like, I, I feel like I've got a responsibility at this point. Right. It was like, there's, there's something in, in my DNA is like, you're kind of a fighter archetype. Right. And so you've got some things to do. You've got to go out and you've got to make sure that other young guys aren't taken advantage of the way you were taken advantage of. If you can help that, then do it. Like Ron, I love Ron to death, but Ron, you know, by the time 2008 rolled around, he was kind of a, a little guy in a suit that, you know, a lot of people just didn't get especially the tough guys right the, the fighters like yeah maybe he's not my my cup of tea yeah and i was like man maybe i can give this a voice a little bit so it was 2016 that i made the decision that i was going to run for u.s congress that would culminated in a 2018 run as a republican i was a libertarian running as a republican in uh the georgia 7th district and i lost that um then in 2020, I ran again as uh, for, for U.S. Senate, and I sent the whole thing into a, a runoff. And then obviously 2022 did a, a bid for the governor. And, you know, that's the thing is, you know, it didn't make me lazy. It, it actually, like, got me off my ass, gave me this understanding, like, dude, these, these guys aren't smart. Like, these guys don't have the answers. And if you ever get in front of a crowd with them, 
and you're going to land haymakers that make them look really, really dumb. And that's kind of just what I found through, you know, the, the past, you know, well, the three elections that I was in is like when you actually get in person with these guys, they're not real bright. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of bought and paid for, they're kind of policy wonks. They think that they can do stuff inside the system and get stuff done. And, um, yeah, the, 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 the impetus behind this was not winning it, you know, it was let's introduce people to an idea and that way you can, you know, actually use a platform, uh, that has a little bit of spotlight. And so, you know, my messaging and everything else rang very, um, you know, very true, I guess, with the libertarians, uh, found some, you know, some success there and, you know, found, you know, a lot of, a lot of support, uh, amongst, uh, amongst that, you know, group of people. Uh, and then obviously in later 2021, I guess, is kind of when I found uh, a good amount of support from the Bitcoin community. And it was just, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to stand in defiance of these, these monsters and introduce people who would have never known otherwise, you know, whether it's a live debate, whether you're getting some crossover in terms of appearances for like a campaign trail where, you know, the local Republicans are tired of the establishment and they want to hear something new, you know, to be able to do that, or even the Democrats, you know, you get invited down to like, you know, downtown Atlanta to talk about cannabis or psilocybin, uh, you know, uh, legalization. And it's that that was the whole goal of going in. It's like, man, I didn't have any you know grandeur of actually winning a seat. There's there's absolutely there's no way the system's actually going to do that. There's a great saying out there that if voting actually mattered, they wouldn't let you do it. And you know to 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 go out there and push for not only freedom but to show people like there's something more to this. There is an actual vehicle that we have now that can that that's the escape hatch for humankind. It's literally weapons grade you know freedom it's we've got the messaging we've got the the brain power we've got all of these amazing people in the space that, that are young that see you know through this and that's the thing is you look at who the current establishment is i mean a lot of them are 70s 80 you know years old they've been there forever this country the people that actually fought the crown were older teenagers yeah. younger 20s maybe maybe early 30s and that's what I see in Bitcoin is I see revolutionaries and these, this, they like the idea that the, this old guard is going to be able to keep up with this young, energetic, thoughtful, not only digital age type of uh, generation, but we're talking about now ultra high digital, right? Like this, we are in a new paradigm and that paradigm of newness is speeding up. So as, you know, my kids come of age and their kids, the, this old guard and the, and I think the way of thinking and culture, I think it's going to die naturally. Thank God. But that's, that was, I guess, more or less the, the, pre, you know, the impetus of like, why, why go do this? Well, for one, your kids get to see you, you know, stand in the face of, you know, in, in the face of failure, no matter what it is and take the loss and and still not see it as a loss see it as something that you know you, you've done what you've come here to accomplish uh and sometimes it takes that it takes standing in the face uh of certain failure to to send a message and i think um you know at the end of the day i think we did some some pretty good things and i hope you know more so that we've inspired a lot of other people to do the same yeah totally and i i totally agree with your point um about 
the Bitcoiners, broadly speaking. And this is kind of where my the comment I made earlier about not caring about like the whole WEF thing comes from, because like we are winning so goddamn hard. Like we everything is there now. And the the change, I don't want to say it's inevitable, but like there's so much momentum behind it. And and of course there would be, right? Like these eternal values and principles of freedom mm-hmm. and truth and you know just economics yeah, yeah 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 but it's 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 like you know that's one of the hallmarks of truth like there's no there's no negotiating with it it is it just is and yeah. i think that's what we're contending with now and the fact that that's on our side of the the divide if you know uh is tremendously powerful and you know we just need to continue to lean into that and continue to build and continue to amplify that and everything else will take care of itself. I mean, they're, they're, the old thing will atrophy, the people will die off, you know, minds will change, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I did want to ask you, like, as you're going, you, you're doing these debates, you're speaking with so many people on the campaign trail, you're interacting with media, you're getting some exposure, I presume, to like the um, the political system, the different components of it. Mm-hmm. What is your impression? Like when you're espousing your ideas, your beliefs, you're talking to these people, like what is the kind of feedback you get? Because you correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw the the, the results and like Abrams and Kemp, yeah. right? Like it was basically between them and and you had a, a sliver of, of the vote. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that because like clearly people thought it was bet- between two people and it, w- yeah. it was great that you were there introducing some different perspectives on the stage. Um, but again, like back to this notion of people being at fault for constructing what we have because they continue to feed into it by making choices that perpetuate it, that yeah. don't, and, and because they don't, they don't see there's as much wrong with it as you, you or I might. And so just, I'd love to get some insight into your impression of how your messaging was landing or not with the people that you were engaging with as part of that campaign. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess comparatively, if you, know, you, you go up against the Republicans and Democrats, you know, compared to, you know, what they're going to get is like, man, I, some people would just call it a day, but you'd be surprised, um, when, you know, especially the, the, the very high profile debate, you know, you get, you get one debate with these guys and after that, oh my God, like things just were, you know, the, the amount of messaging, uh, that was coming in the door, the, you know, the telephone calls, the requests for, you know, some interviews and all that. I mean, it just, it exploded to the point where not only did I have, you know, obviously libertarians were, you know, fanatic about it. They were like, this is the gold standard. This, this has to be what we are shooting for every time we have somebody in a race. And that was, it was great to hear, but that's your echo chamber, right? Yeah. It's like, you, to your point is like, what is coming in from Democrats, from Republicans, from independents? And what we got out of that was by far, I mean, well worth our time and effort because there are a lot of people who are like, I can't do it. For the first time, you've convinced me that I would rather vote for somebody who will lose than cast my vote for a winner. Because with a winner, we're going to get the same. We're going to get tyranny. We might get a different brand or a different flavor of tyranny, but we're still going to get tyranny. And I can't support that anymore. And, you know, d- during my time on the, 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 the campaign trail, you, you try to just 
hey, listen, you know, at the end of the day, if if anything helps you out and, and helps you divorce yourself from the system, like this is the exit. You know, this is we're not we're here, we're using this platform, but what we're proposing is not a new, not this system, not a, a reformation of the system. What we're talking about is a decentralization and an exit from the system. So when people, you know, hear that and then you, you say, and you don't have to defend a politician for whatever, you know, the next two or the next four years, like their eyes kind of start to light up and you start to see a smile creep across their face and they're like, Oh, I've never really considered that I never have to defend these fuckers anymore. Right. And it's like when, when you, when you get people that just have that thought, like I don't have to defend Stacey Abrams. I don't have to defend Brian Kemp. Like I don't have to defend any of these people. And the thing is, is like what this guy said is actually pretty legit. Like he's saying, like, we're never going to change the system from the inside. We're never going to be able to do that. But, there is this other system that you can go participate in, much like the whole John Galt and Atlas Shrugged moment where you can say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm taking my, my value, I'm taking my money, I'm taking my life, and this is where I'm headed with it. And, you know, if you live it by example, and a lot of times, you know, with, you know, my podcast, I get to talk about, you know, what we do out here. Like, this is homesteading. This is, you know, homeschooling. This is being independent, making your own food, uh, trying to, to make sure that you use as little energy as possible, you know, at the same time while living in balance with nature. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, numbers, yeah, I guess, you know, numbers in a rigged voting system are one of those things where you go, yeah, maybe, maybe that's all we got. Maybe we didn't inspire anything. Maybe we inspired people to stay home. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what was crazy is from the 2020 election for Senate versus the 2022 election where, you know, notoriety name and all that kind of stuff, like name recognition was way higher in 2022. You know, we got, I think it was 115,000 votes in uh, 2020, which, you know, not terrible for a libertarian, but then to turn around and have it uh, go, you know, down to, I think it was like 27,000. It was crazy. I was like, I was the worst performing libertarian on the entire Georgia slate like the worst. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And not only was I the worst, like we, we went in and actually like broke down like how bad it was. I garnered half as much as the next person who was on the libertarian slate. It was a, it was a factor of two minimum, a factor of two, where when you looked at all the other uh, comparisons with Republicans and Democrats, like who, you know, did what and where, then it, it only looks like, people who were like oh yeah this whole thing's rigged were like 100 percent right so you know like there's you're talking about that's the case for this most recent one yeah that's 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 the case for uh the 2022 election so when when you see everything you do this like the statistical breakdown you're like "Eh, this this looks pretty ugly like really bad for georgia have you i mean because the libertarians have gotten kind of a bad rap uh I mean, just because we don't help ourselves, man. I'm right, <laughs> right. And 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 you know, never winning is never good either, right? Right. Um, and you know, it's it's been my experience has been like less when I encounter libertarians, like you know, card carrying libertarians. Um, <clears throat> I'm often surprised at the percentage that are either not like educated on or supportive of Bitcoin. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of gold bugs, obviously, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm, it's just like, it's such a layup and it's weird that it's not more, so, 
commonly supported. What's your take on that? Yeah, I've I've tried to figure this out, and it's it's funny to me. Is like I, I I've gotten to the point where I know the inner workings of the Libertarian Party, and I don't know if if your audience knows or cares or any of that kind of stuff. But the Libertarian Party was taken over last year by the Mises Caucus, and the yeah. Mises Caucus are a bunch of Ron Paulers. They are not the uh, the very tiptoe through the tulips. Um, you know, They're way more spicy. It's it's fun. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot more fun, right? It's like, and that's the only thing you can do is you can, the only thing you can do is buck the system so hard while keeping truth at the center of it, that you, you outrage enough people into that knee jerk reaction to where now the media has to cover it. Right, and right, right. Like, it's, it's a technique, right? Like, is it right or wrong? I don't know, but I can tell you by the numbers it's working. And are they ever going to win a national election? No. And I don't think that's actually the intent, but it does appear that way. So in terms of now understanding, like, why aren't more people in, in the libertarian circles? Why aren't they Bitcoiners? The only thing I can tell you is I don't think most people have studied the economics. There are a bunch of good people in the libertarian party who understand economics, who have not studied Bitcoin. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's 10,000 hours, right, to become an expert on Bitcoin, to be able to evangelize it, to be able to talk about it and, you know, the different uh, uh, the different sectors, whether it's culture, whether it's finance, whether it's business, what you know, whatever you're looking at. I don't think most people have put in the time to do such a thing. And I mean, and even like that's out of the few people that have become Austrians in terms of their reading and be able to explain, you know, business cycle and all that kind of stuff. There are even fewer of those who have done the work in Bitcoin. And so the evangelism, the, I don't know, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we're, we're going to keep doing better. You know, at some point, like I, I trust me, I get it. The same question. I've retired from politics for that reason is like this, this Bitcoin path is the path. And Mm -hmm. Like the whole pol- political thing, if you're using it as a soapbox, I understand to show people that there's an out to educate people, to give some people, you know, some some ideas um, to go and do their homework on. But outside of that, you know, winning, like I'm, I, I have no delusions of grandeur. <laughs> there's ever going to be like a Dave Smith, like, don't get me wrong, love Dave Smith. Uh, and I hope he does extremely well in 2024 in terms of waking people up using that platform. What's he but, running for? president really yeah. yeah he hasn't announced yet but uh yeah dave smith i mean you've probably seen him on joe rogan i mean he's he was on there i think last time uh talking about the the, the entire setup for you know nato to go to war with russia you know, he explained it beautifully but i mean he's a comedian he's a great guy he's just he's super- i know i saw i only saw a clip from that show and they were like you know, they were basically talking about Bitcoin for 10 minutes without talking about Bitcoin, you know, made the rounds on Bitcoin Twitter. So, I, I mean, I know he's uh, he's talked to Guy maybe and a few others, yourself. And yeah, um, but he it doesn't seem like it's center enough in his shtick. I, you know, and that's 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 the other thing about politics, right, is like a lot of times what people are trying to do is craft a message that isn't off putting. Right. And, and a lot of, you know, you just come out and say, I'm, I'm going to be a Bitcoin president. That's off put like the consensus for the politically dialed in is like, man, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose attention with that kind of stuff. And like, that's not what I'm about. I'm not listening. Is I'm he not, though? He's not going to win anyway. So why not just fucking, you know, like do I, like you just saying with the Mises caucus, just be way different. And like, I, not, why I, not? He's going to be like a 
a yeah, young, so. articulate libertarian person, yeah. and and that'll will that get a few more people interested? Maybe. But what if he just went see. full balls to the wall, orange like <laughs> orange man, yeah. or not like, orange man, or orange pillar, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. Well, and that's the thing is like that's why I did it for governor. I mean, I hope they will. I hope they'll follow suit. I mean, to their point, like I've got people coming in, like the head of the Mises caucus asking me, Hey, you know, what about like Monero? And I'm like, no Bitcoin. Right. It is like the libertarians love some Monero. God damn it. it. I know. It's just like, <laughs> you know, like, listen guys on hash power alone, you're going to, you're always going to be second best. Look at this as like TCP IP versus all the other protocols that were there before we actually picked TCP IP. It won out for a reason, right? That's what we're using. That's Bitcoin. It's so far out ahead now. The hash rate is at such a rate that nothing else is going to debase it. It's we're, we're done. Like now we're going to work on level two, level three, and we're going to scale from there. This idea that you're going to go off and like grab anything else, like it's, it's a work in progress. I'm doing my damnedest to like, <laughs> you know, spread this message. And you know, it's funny is like in my circles, people are extremely receptive to this kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, as time goes on, you know, it, it, history looks back. I think we're going to be like some of the first people from the libertarian party that were like, yeah, guys, listen, this is your vehicle. You guys wanted a path to quote unquote victory, or do you want to quote, you want a path to legit freedom and independence. And I think that's more or less the selling point. Yeah. Um, a couple more and then I'll, I'll let you go. But one of the things that is obviously a interesting discussion topic, let's say in Bitcoin is uh, governance, right? Because as, as you understand more about Bitcoin, you start to s s ask questions like, well, if the government can't steal from me by inflation and if they can't steal from me directly, and if I can do jurisdictional arbitrage and all the other stuff, how do they fund themselves? Well, you know, Bingo. at a certain point in the future, they can't really, or at least it's greatly reduced. Okay, well, what does governance look like in that type of environment where the government doesn't have an unlimited piggyback by siphoning the wealth of the, popula the, the population? So, and, you know, people talk about, well, maybe monarchy will make a, a return or maybe, you know, a complete, you know, anarcho-capitalist sort of thing. But I, the way I look at it is I still, you know, humans are probably still going to want to coordinate in ways outside of the, the coordination that results from economic best interests, even in a system that's fair and, you know, like a Bitcoin system. So it seems like there'll still be some form of, you know, intersub like uh, human governance right yeah. beyond just i don't disagree with that at all right and so um and and this is highly dependent on what point in time in the future we're considering because mm -hmm. you know 10 years versus 50 versus 100 the answer will be very different but just you know to the extent that you've thought about this issue what in a in a, a hyper bitcoinized world that's probably the easiest one to discuss what do you think will be the nature and you know shape look structure of governance. Yeah. So I've actually started looking at this in the transitionary period. And I think that's probably the most important for us. Um, you know, as, as we go from fiat system into Bitcoin system, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Um, and when we start to see, you know, in the very immediate future, I think too, like possibly 2023, you know, if they're floating around this idea of CBDCs, 
you know, this is here and now. And I mean, it's there, there's pilot programs running in other countries. I think the June 5th deadline by Janet Yellen uh, for, you know, McCarthy to either come in and get his omnibus bill and, you know, look like a complete schmuck for talking about, you know, the idea that they're only going to pass like single uh, single line item type of uh, legislation for funding. I think he's going to have to eat crow and come to the table, or he's going to be the guy holding the bag for default when they go to a CBDC. Either way, I think we're going to a, a quote unquote, the U S government and the fed is going to the CBC. So when, when we look at what is, what does that look like for us? Right? Like, what does that look like in your town? I think this is going to be different for urban populations versus suburban populations and urban populations. Because where I'm at is extremely urban, it's mountainous and all these kind of things. And I've already started having conversations with my sheriff up here is, hey man, this is what's gonna go down. I understand you don't understand economics, but let me explain it to you, right? And, and he's, a, he's a nice enough guy. And I think he means very well. But if you're not having this conversation, you're behind the power curve. So the conversation is this, hey man, all these people from BlackRock and State Street and the rest of these organizations during COVID, especially down here in the South, they came in and they bought property and they bought it at a premium so that they could drive value up as migration came down from the North and from the West Coast. So that when prices you know, skyrocketed, they started making a mint. Now, people are starting to lose their jobs. We're going to, you know, recession, I think, is already here. I think depression is actually getting very close. And when we understand that these people who have been manipulated for the past, well, let's just say two years on its face, like we can sit here and show you this has been done and this has been manipulated. You know, the economy is now going to go to a CBDC. Let me explain how this is going to work for you, Frank. This is going to be you either go and do their bidding or you don't put food on the table for your kids. You don't get to put clothes on your back. You don't get to do this for all the deputies that you have now. People are going to be pissed with you, Frank. The people that you know are closest to you during your life, the people that are in your peer group, this community is going to be pissed because what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to send guys out with shields and, and badges, and you're going to have to evict people from their homes. You're going to have to like absolutely go after people for nonviolent crime that were manipulated by a system. This is being done by the banks. The banks set this whole thing up. They are they're taking advantage of the situation. They want their property back. They want everything under their control. And they're going to use you at the end of the day to carry out what they want to do through CBDCs. It's like you know civil asset forfeiture now. You guys use civil asset forfeiture so that you can increase your coffers so that you can pay more people and get more equipment, nicer cars, nicer whatever. And at the end of the day, Frank, you're going to have to violate the rights of the people in your community if you go that route. Or we can go this route. We can pay you. We can set up an organization that pays you where we're either doing it in Bitcoin, whether we're doing it in gold or silver or whatever. But here's the deal is if we're paying you, these are the requirements of the position, right? It's like, you know, the, the argument that, you know, the, you know, what are you going to do for police in a private market? Well, here's the thing is I'd much prefer to run police competitively in a private market type of style. Like everybody's like, well, you know, how do you do this? Well, think about this. Are you happy with your police now? Are you happy with your sheriffs now? Most people are not. Most people have lost all faith in these kind of guys. What if Chick-fil-A 
ran your police force, right? Do you think that they would be jumping through their ass to make sure that you were happy? Have a great day. It was my pleasure to serve you. Like that's the alternative. So you, you have enough interest in a community to, to scrape together some Bitcoin, some gold, some silver, something of value so that you can start to offer these guys. But here's the condition, right? The condition is this. You're going after violent criminals. And that's it. The, the people who rape and murder and coerce and steal and vandalize, that's who you go after. If you're going to make peaceful people your target, you're not getting paid anymore because we get to withhold payment if you're not holding up your terms of service. And this is how you start to perpetuate a Bitcoin type of society. This is completely de decentralized because this is now community dependent, whether it's a city mayor or whether it's your sheriff over a county. This is now how we transition from this fiat god-awful system where they take you know, marching orders from you know, D.C. in terms of incentives or they're taking incentive that comes from you and they're not having to go out and kick in the doors of peaceful people in their community. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, if they begin to do that, wearing a uniform, especially here in you know Appalachia Stan, is going to get very, very dangerous for these guys. Like if you're rolling around in a cop car and a you know a badge and everything else, and you start, you know, doing god-awful things for CBDCs for the government. If you have a targeted list out there of people that are a problem to the system, at that point, now you're taking a force of maybe, I don't know, a few hundred people and putting it up against, you know, your, you know, county or city, which is of, you know, vast numbers. This is, this should be a no brainer for the sheriff at the end of the day. He should be like, all right, how do we start to, you know, roll the system out? What do we need to do in terms, in terms of creating a private contract between us and the citizens of this county? And that's that's the kind of the conversation that we've had. So what do I envision? I envision, I envision a more privatized, decentralized sort of, you know, keeping the peace, EMS, thing, things of that nature, which are provided for now. And, in the, you know, if we're going to use things like roads, like, you know, everybody's like, well, what about the roads, my roads, right? Like, man, you can pay for the roads you drive on and you don't have to pay for the roads you don't drive on. Things like that. And not to mention you've got, you know, the, the businesses out there like UPS, FedEx, Amazon, who obviously need roads to get you the products that you want to buy and use them for carriers for. Not to mention a whole slew of other ones. It's yeah. it's. It's actually a really not so difficult system, especially compared to the one that we're running now. How does Sheriff Frank respond when you share this sort of a plan well, with him? So the first time it happened, I think the goo was kind of running out of his ear, right? Like you can only you can only give somebody so much. And you have to let it kind of marinate for a while. I've been having this conversation with Frank since I moved into this county, right? It was like, hey man, I'm Shane. How are you? Like walked in. So it's gonna happen when government dissolves. <laughs> I, I walked into his office and we had these conversations about some things. I was like, okay, all right, Frank, I'll see you later. Like, and, you know, Right. And, and, you know, we've run into each other, you know, he knows a lot of my family up here um, and I know his family and it's not that we're completely at odds. And I, I don't think that sh you're, you're ever going to win people that way. Totally. Um, it's just being that measured, resourceful, forward looking person and having that conversation early enough with now you're building a track record where he goes, huh? Yeah. What you did said did happen. Like you keep doing that over and over and over again. And at some point he goes, yeah, you know what, maybe this is the best way for us. So I think, I think that's probably where we're headed. Right. I know 
libertarians hate the Marauds question. Um, <laughs> and I, and, and, and I understand, like, of course I understand that, you know, people can build private roads and you can have tolls and for who's using them and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But to me, to me, the, the broader or the larger question is by whose authority is property assigned and enforced, let's say outside of, of Bitcoin. And, and, and it would seem, or, you know, what, what is your answer to that question? Like when you, when you say, well, it's a, it's a private road, you put up, well, who did, who did you buy it from? And now in, in a legacy system that that's maybe easier to answer because right. you could say, well, like it was bought, everything was privatized effectively and it was bought up before the government dissolved or whatever. But even in, in things that are novel or new where there's no legacy, how is authority determined uh, when it's needed in the case of, you know, uh, public use property or, or property, public use property might be a bit of a, uh, oxymoron, but property that's going to be used by a lot of people in a complicated way, or you know, you know what I'm trying to say, yeah, right? Like what, what, what happens? Tragedy, yeah. Tragedy of the commons is, is kind of where we get to, right. Is, you know, every, I think everybody knows the the tale of the tragedy of the commons is like, if it's everybody's, it's nobody's. And at that point when, you know, it's nobody's, well, then, then who is responsible? So in, in a, in a Bitcoin type of, in, in a, there's, there's some great pieces out there. I think uh, Alex Fesky did a really good piece uh, in Bitcoin magazine a few years ago. Uh, when he started trying to imagine some of the things you talked about, like the monarchy and, uh, you know, possible return to that. But the the ability to own property now, right, is like you don't own property. Nobody owns property. Everybody pays a property tax in in, in the United States, which I think is, you know, some of the most un-American stuff to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when the banks do dissolve and there is no more, you know, local bank or central bank or anything like that, as in fiat and the titles go defunct and you know the the records are maybe not as well kept i think what you're going to get down to uh is some sort of governance at the the local level where you know this incentive structure is put in place with you know reinforced incentives as bitcoin is right so if these people aren't trusted if they don't have, you know, truth on their side, if they don't have, you know, their, their record on their side and they've abused power. Well, that, that name, you know, that you're going to very much depend on here in the very near future, I think is tarnished. You're not going to be able to be one of those people. You're going to be well known not to be one of those people. People aren't going to, you know, procure, you know, money out of thin air and put in a malinvestment for malincentive. And so I think what you're going to get down to is, is uh, you know, some sort of, you know, local judicial system where these are hammered out. And it's, it's I guarantee you, it's going to be different. And this is not, I mean, if there's one thing I've, I've learned about Bitcoin and Austrianism, like there's no one size fits all to anything. If a group of people concur to a set of rules, then those rules could be, you know, wildly different. So, you know, up here in the mountains, I think, you know, if, if you're on a piece of land and, you know, somebody says, I want your house. Well, okay. I guess we're either going to figure this out like gentlemen, or we're going to figure this out, you know, in, in some of the worst way possible. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's really something um, that, you know, again, it, it goes into incentive structure. If you're going to be that person that comes in and tries to settle in some house that somebody's already in or some property that somebody's already on, that community 
is not going to want you there. That community yeah. is going to absolutely reject you uh, from the very onset because let's say, you know, Hey, they take out the chicken farmer on the mountain, right? Like they take out Shane and that guy was supplying us with lots and lots and lots of eggs that we couldn't get for a while. Like, no, like now you've got, you've, Are you've you got a chicken to, farmer. Is that legit? I, well, we're, yeah, we're homesteading. Yeah. We've got oh, okay. a bunch of chickens out here chickens. The, <laughs> and we do supply people with chicken eggs, right? It's like, it's one of those things where, you know, when premium you must eggs, be rolling in it these days. Oh, bro. It is, <laughs> it is chicken mafia out here. Uh, and, and great, great economic lessons for kids is, you know, if, if you are providing a service to your community, because now in, in true capitalism, you can provide a service or a product for less money and still cover your costs while making a small profit to reinvest into your business. Then at the same, you, you, you've discovered at the heart what a business is. And for us, you know, to, to be able to supply, you know, a carton of eggs for $5 that are, you know, range, you know, like open range type of chickens on, uh, some of the the best uh, meal possible and insects and everything else for that amount of money when something like that's going for twice that amount at the, the local grocery store to help people out. Like that's a really, that's a really cool thing to be able to do. Like I said, it just, it's positive re-incentive on a, in a good incentive structure. If you're totally, yeah, totally. looking at governing that way. I mean, that's the beauty of Bitcoin. You know, the more you look at it, the more you see how a, a right, a true, a good, master incentive at the center of everything yeah. generates those positive reinforcing incentive incentives down the line. And I think, you know, when I try to answer this question, I think, well, the sovereign individual has been a great book for bringing that idea of returns on violence to people. And, yeah. and I've always thought, you know, you don't, as you said, you know, you don't own your property. And I would extend that to say, you only own the property that you can defend or you only only the property rights that are unimpeachable are actually, can you assert them, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Bitcoin is, is the absolute best because pretty much nobody can violate that, that property, right? But your house, well, the military shows up, it's theirs. It's not really yours. So it's contingent upon how well you're able to uphold those property rights. And indeed, obviously that has been, at least in part, the, the role of government, you know, why it was probably instituted in the first place, you know, one of the primary reasons. And then of course, once you have that power and that wealth that you're protecting, well, you can do lots of other stuff with it and that, that in comes to corruption. But when the vast majority of wealth, let's say, is in the domain of unimpeachable property rights, mm -hmm. inviolable property rights, then so much of the incentive outside of that, so much of the value that could be um, taken through force is gone. Right. So the incentive yeah. is dramatically diminished because so much of the, the, the value, the wealth has gone into this domain. Um, and I think that's tremendously encouraging for there being less violence than one might otherwise think there would be when things fall apart. And it's just kind of like a, well, the, 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 the typical like fear of anarchism that most normies might, might feel. And to your point, like when you, when you think about this as a, you know, instead of a, like we're, we have a problem with property rights. Let's, let's the idea that you have a, a great incentive based culture that now let's just say you're a property owner, like myself, like out here, if I want to give some of my property to somebody or allow somebody to come, Hey, here's a piece of property. You can buy it from me and you can now become part of this community. And 
now what you're doing is you're fostering the community. You're, you're literally being that person that welcomes in some of the best into your community. And I think, you know, being the receptive end of that, where if you're the person who's requesting maybe to purchase a piece of property from somebody on that land, you know, you maybe put in certain conditions as how this is going to work. But that person, especially if it's, you know, a really, really nice place to be, you know, those people are going to be or, or feel some sort of debt as well, right? It's like they, they're going to want to contribute in a, in a positive way to that society so that they're not looked at as like a malinvestment or a, a maladdition to that society as well. So it, it fosters this culture of, you know, giving maybe giving a younger guy a chance. Hey, here's a small parcel. You know, as you as you age and you're able to take care of more, then maybe here's more. And, you know, that that relationship, that building up of the next generation or the, you know, whatever it is, is I think something that, you know, when this whole thing compounds and we start to see the network effect of how this will work naturally is just going to be I mean, it's it's, it's going to be something else to live through. Totally, totally. Let me let me. Tell me what you think about this, because I, I think along, along that line of thinking that the incentive to use power or force to acquire property will be greatly diminished. Um, but, you know, the, the refrain would be, yeah, but there's still going to be things of value outside of Bitcoin that people with power will have an incentive to to take. Um, and you mentioned like there's a reputational uh, dynamic there that would disincentivize that. And I also think the the available resources to pursue a given in, the, the balance of resources to pursue the good and the so-called good incentive versus the bad, I think are going to be so it's possible that they, they're going to be so imbalanced in favor of resources of, available to pursue and uphold the good incentives in this case to defend that they're, they're going to so outweigh the resources available to pursue the aggressive incentives that maybe it's the case that like, Yes, there will, you know, it will still be possible to steal from people in certain ways, but there's going to be so many more resources available for defense, i.e. available for the maintenance of, of property rights yeah. um, that that should countervail um, anyone, the, the minority of people who would seek to use power to, you know, for for nefarious or aggressive or you know, violating property right pur purposes. It's, it's kind of too, have you ever seen uh, uh, Antonopoulos get up there and talk about the double spend? It's, you know, kind of a, one of his probably yeah. And he talks about, you know, the, the amount of money that it would take to make an incursion like this and what you get one double spend. Yay. Kind of, kind right, of that right, idea. Right. right? Mm -hmm. um, when, when you start to think about an incursion in terms of property rights, if you have some other types of resources, let's just say, you know, the Bitcoin nations go to war with the BRICS nations. And I'm not saying you just hypothetically, right? Um, let's, let's say you want to pierce a community and you want to, to grab a swath of property. Well, you may have the resources to make that initial pierce, but now you run into a logistics problem. At some point, somewhere, you're going to have to have a you know, backup logistics it becomes much more local and is supported by the, the, the local people. And we learned, you know, this lesson in Afghanistan and Iraq and probably a bunch of other places. But when we were there, 
you know, logistically, that is a nightmare. That is a nightmare to keep that many people in a place through force and coercion for 20 years. It was a nightmare. Nobody wanted to get out of it for another reason. But when you look at that here in the United States, people who have far more sophisticated equipment have tons and tons and tons of arms at their disposal and know their local suppliers, whether it's gas or food or whatever it is that sustains an invading type of force that it would take to, to just make the, the penetration. Boy, you want to talk about the welcome, you know, wearing out very quickly. The, you know, the attacks, the, the, the what you've done in terms of disrupting this society that was finding and maybe not, you know, utopia. But maybe a little bit of harmony, a little bit of balance, something that they recovered from in this crazy time. You know, when when things, you know, when we get to a, a Bitcoin standard or hyper Bitcoinization and we start to see the wheels turn in our local societies and somebody comes in and tries to threaten that. Oh, my God, I feel so, so sorry for those people <laughs> to a degree, to, to the degree that I'm just it's it's going to be over after the initial piercing, because I think not only do those people respond, but I think the people in the neighboring areas respond as well and say, this can't happen, right? Like this is now outrageous to a degree that you've got possibly a, an entire region mo motivated to say, Hey, here's our, here's our resources. We're going to give you through, you know, consent and, and peace. And we're, we're, we're coming down to make a stand to say, Hey, enough is enough. You got to leave. You know, one way or another, you don't want to escalate this. I think, I think once you see that switch turn, I and you know, for the life of me, I, I think back to the the anti-federalists when they lost the uh, you know the war to the federalists, and you know, the in eighteen ninety one, is they they didn't want to centralize. They didn't want to centralize. They were prophets on what was ha going to happen if we centralized, and now to see us recover from that, you know, to start the recovery of centralization down to decentralization. I think this is going to be the piece that a lot of people don't understand because at first they don't understand history and they don't understand, you know, what this, you know, positive incentive structure is actually capable of after seeing how bad it's going to be at under, you know, this, this mal incentive structure that we have now, like when they finally turn the page and they go, Oh, we get it. And it's happening and good stuff is going on now. Boy, I think that's very, very hard to turn back. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good segue into this last one I have for you, which is, I think, I'm not sure if we were recording or not when you mentioned it um, at the beginning, but you said, you know, you insinuated you thought things were going to get pretty hairy pretty soon. And, uh, you know, actually, this was one of the reasons why you were quitting coffee because you weren't sure you'd have uh, <laughs> a, a consistent supply or a reliable supply. Right. So, what what do you see you know is is happening or is going to happen hit me with your your uh projection on things so i i honestly i think um al gore kind of highlighted this during his rant at the uh the wef this week right in, in this past week is he was talking about nuclear you know nuclear bombs and all these kind of stuff that you know mostly polluting the climate but if you kind of understand their language and read between the lines I think what they want is to destroy self-governance on this planet. I think they, the idea of self-governance is not something that they want in the hands of the, the average man, woman, and child. And because time is running out and because fiat buys less and less and will continue to buy less and less, 
And the more they print now, the more, you know, inflation is going to go through the roof. That's, you know, going to, you know, to, to send popularity of these, you know, politicians through the floor is the only way out of this for these guys is to decimate the human population. We've, you know, we've, this past week, we heard them talk about a catastrophic global cyber attack in terms of turning off the lights, basically turning off the energy grids. I, you know, what is, is this within their power? I think it probably is. And, you know, if, if this is the case and we're starting to see it in places like Pakistan already, and they're trying to get the population in the UK to use yeah, what happened? Power. That was just today in Pakistan, right? The power is yeah. out for the whole country or was out. I'm not uh, sure how long I don't it, know was if it was. Yeah. The entire country. Uh, and I believe they started getting some of it restored, but yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, we haven't gone a week and now we've got most of, you know, India out or, or most of Pakistan out just sitting going, hmm, you know, a lot of times they do test runs on people that don't really have a lot of the measures to, to do anything back. Unfortunately, I think Pakistan does have some measures in terms of nuclear arms and everything. But I, I honestly think that these megalomaniac psychopaths are going to go for broke at some point. I don't know how far it gets. I don't know if it starts with the Russia-Ukraine thing. Um, but to me, that seems like the fault line right now. And if I'm looking at this militarily, if I can begin a thermonuclear war with, uh, you know, the, the Baltic states over there, then what we have is more and more and more people who are now fleeing that area. Now, you know, borders don't mean a thing. And at that point, I think what they want to do is step in as a global governance issue and, you know, maybe a global CBDC at that point. And I think, you know, that's what we're, we're up against in the near future. I think, you know, I think there's a darkness that we're, we're going to have to push through. I don't think it's, you know, uh, incapable of just understanding the human spirit uh, the way I do. I mean, between the generators, between the, 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 the know-how, the ingenuity, the hard times, like what I've seen people do, especially in the Gulf states here in America, when, you know, times are tough and, you know, catastrophic, you know, events happen, people kind of band together and they come up with some really ingenious uh, types of, you know, you know, ability to help each other out. So I think it's coming. I think, you know, uh, 2023 is, uh, you know, probably going to be the year where there's too much information, uh, going around too fast. Now that's exposed a lot of these people, they don't have an answer for Bitcoin. Uh, and I think that scares the hell out of them. I think they understand very well that, you know, value moves quickly. And if people see Bitcoin as a store of value that they can't, take they can't interrupt that absolutely neuters them of most of their their world power then you know one of the things you have to do is first and foremost prevent the blowback that's going to take them out and see something like a nuremberg too where a lot of these guys get sentenced to death and hung for you know the covid crimes but then on top of that now if the world financial system starts to collapse and people can't get their money out of banks their 401ks are shot there's no social security you're you know, the United States is somewhere around $250 trillion in debt anyway, in terms of unfunded liabilities. And what are you going to do? And the only thing to do is probably get rid of most of the population. And I say that because I've seen how they treat veterans. You know, you go from being an asset to a liability, they throw pills at the situation and get you off the ledger. Like that's right. it, right? So if now you have most of the boomer generation, maybe even some Gen Xers that are starting to get into that social security age, 
boy, you don't want to be on their ledger at that point is what I'm saying. And I, I think they're, I think they're vast and evil enough to do those things. I know it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> um, let's assume for the sake of argument, uh, that it's not a centrally orchestrated anything that's happening. Let's assume that it's, you know, we're a bunch of imperfect and largely incompetent human beings are subject to a, a corrupt and imperfect system. And what we're seeing now is just the inevitable chaos of those two things operating engaged, you know, with one another. Uh, if that is the case, and maybe this is kind of an impossible question, but it, like, how do you see things playing out if, if that were the case? Like if, if there was less intention and more incompetence and faulty engine, you know, faulty systems engineering, yeah. let's say, um, how do you think, see things playing out? Well, I, I think much the same way, honestly, I think, uh, just because, uh, there will be some sort of violent event somewhere, um, that, that, that might be the precipice for unification. Um, I mean, God, we saw in America after nine 11, we saw, you know, everybody was like, yeah, I mean, wrong answer, by the way, like <laughs> <laughs> wrong answer. Uh, hopefully we don't do that, but, uh, there was a unification. There was like, this cannot be, this cannot stand. This is outrageous. Um, and I think that's probably what you start to see is just because, you, you know, there, there are, there's a lot of incompetence. I, I think, you know, uh, Jerome Powell is fairly incompetent, right? I, I think that guy is um, wildly out of his depth in what he's trying to do now. And so, you know, if if they were trying to do the right thing and they were smart, they'd try to adopt a Bitcoin standard. And that's not obviously what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I think what you see is a, a vast decentralization down to the local level where now you're hyper-focused on making sure that your community is more robust, it's more anti-fragile, uh, and, you know, that means doing, you know, a lot of hard work yourself, but also doing, you know, the anti-fragile charity work that, you know, is going to have to be done. So I think that's, you know, I think all of this lends itself to helping the Bitcoiners, the, the hyper-Bitcoinization of the world. There, it, it might actually just be the catalyst that pushes it all. Um, and, you know, that's okay. Like it, as soon as, like I said earlier, I, th I think this kind of folds into it is, once you have that catalyst where people turn the corner in some communities, El Salvador, right? El Salvador's never going back. Also, I mean, they've got, you know, people who are actually paying their taxes, you know, and they shame them on national television. That's amazing. They, they shame, you know, you mean who, giant, who don't, who don't pay their taxes. Right. Yeah. Uh, they shame giant corporations on television to pay their taxes, their crime rates through the floor. They're, there's repatriation for the first time ever in El Salvador. You think El Salvador is ever going back? to a, a different way. I don't think so. Like, I think that, you know, now that they've seen this, this corner that's turned, uh, because of Bitcoin, boy, I don't see them ever going back. And I think that's probably going to spread, uh, through a very decentralized way around the world. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope you're right. And I think free, true freedom is even though most people may have a hard time spotting it at first, when you feel it, it's, perhaps the most enticing thing that there is. And now that we're engaging technologies that make it more ubiquitous, make it more available to everybody, then stands to reason more people are going to get to feel that sensation and they're probably going to like it. And hopefully they're going to demand more of it and orient their, orient their life around it. So, you know, um, 
Well, hope, maybe that's the hopeful note that we end on instead of uh, the one you formally <laughs> articulated. Yeah, it was a terrible way to end the show. <laughs> uh, but man, I uh, it's been great chatting with you. I appreciate you coming on and making the time today. And uh, we should do it again sometime. Uh, give it a little space in between, and then we'll we'll get together sometime in 2023 and see how many of uh, your predictions came to pass. Hopefully, Ho- hopefully, zero. hopefully, we're still able to communicate by then. <laughs> I want to be wrong. John, hey, man, thanks for the platform. It was great speaking with you and having some fun, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. and love to have you on my show uh, as well. So, man, uh, appreciate everything you're doing for Bitcoin. Thank you, brother. And uh, yeah, we'll chat again sometime. Take care. Peace. 